You hear the sounds. Fear sets in. The pain. The suffering. The agony. The chamber has returned. Locked inside. All these teams will be in the elimination chamber match for the tag team titles. Two separate wars. We will crown a new intercontinental champion. One common goal. Elimination. And in the shadows of this monstrosity, what's more threatening? One's pride. John Cena's the man to beat. Give me your best shot. Or one's arrogance. You and I, we are going to fight. But it's going to be on my terms. Champion versus champion. Not yours. And with a lunatic on the brink of destruction. Ambrose going after Rollins with the entire authority there. Seth trying to get away. Ambrose taking off the authority. He's out of control arrested for simple assault. What does the future hold? He stole a police van? Can you imagine that lunatic as the next WWE World Heavyweight Champion? Tonight, the torture, the anguish, and the despair return. The championship battles and unforgiving challenges arrive. Chamber is back. So Cesaro's got uh, Darren Young up and he's got him to do a gut wrench suplex off of the top rope and then uh, Titus comes along and, and power bombs him. It looks really cool because you quite often see a similar spot with like a, a standard traditional suplex. Um, but seeing a, a with a gut wrench suplex, <coughs> oh god. <laughs> <laughs> That just came out of nowhere, that one. <laughs> that's it, that's it. <laughs> oh, it was massive as well. <laughs> it was the look on his face as well. It was just the shock. <laughs> oh, what happened there? Yeah, that's that's uh, it. That's 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 <laughs> Sorry. Um, you quite often see that spot with a standard suplex, but seeing it with a gut wrench suplex is actually really quite cool. Something I've never seen before, so that was uh, I enjoyed that. Yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, indeed, this is the Random Wrestling Review, and I am Ben Spindler, and today we are taking a look back at WWE Elimination Chamber 2015. Joining me for the pod is Sam Carey, a.k.a. Old Man. Last week, you will remember that Sam promised us a renewed review of WCW Slambury 1993, a Legends reunion following a rewatch he was going to do after the recording of our show. Old Man, how did that go? I stand by every comment I made in last week's episode, <laughs> but I do have an update in the third episode of CM Punk's music 
Ooh. So, Io Derek, who was in Kill Switch Engage, I'm an apology because he sings on CM Punk's Kill Switch Engage entrance music. Not the other lad, whose name I don't know, who I incorrectly said sang it last week. Who needs to know anybody else's name when the guy who sung it was called Derek? Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna quickly check his surname because I think it might be a bit of a ripper. Well, but whilst you're doing that, I'll, I'll introduce the other co-host we got, um, because we also have Tom Smith. And, and Tom was excited last week when he realised there was a whole series of MasterChef that he'd missed during a six-month tour of the world he took a couple of years back and was set to binge-watch the whole series, for which I was hoping for a report today. Tom, what news on the 2019 MasterChef competition? You've known me for long enough, Tinky. No. You know, I'm all about ideas and enthusiasm and when it comes to the execution, as shown by our Instagram account, uh, I don't do anything. So it'll be to no one's surprise that I haven't watched any of that season of MasterChef as of yet. And the reality is, I probably won't for a very long time, but I'm going to. It's the safe in the knowledge that it'll be is there. Is there when yeah. you want to. And away from the pod, um, Tinky, you said you were going to watch the entire Debbie Does Dallas back catalogue. <laughs> Have you managed that? <laughs> well, it's it's interesting because I'm not surprised that you know the homework that you were set last week um, was sort of patchy in, in terms of how it got completed because mainly because I too failed to take in the complete works of Killswitch Engage, which I suggested mm-hmm. I might do, or even navigate through all 18 episodes of UK sitcom The Inbetweeners. Maybe, maybe we'll all have better luck next time who knows before we get going properly today the gentlest of gentle nudges in the direction of our social media channels where you can find out what's coming up next on the pod as well as keep up with more of our general silliness or the silliness of others that we have highlighted rwr pod uk is the place to go uh, oh man what what news have we got on Derek's surname Derek Kurzweil. Oh, what a name. Yeah, and I'll tell you what he looks like a lovely guy and he's got an excellent voice as i said last time i saw them live and he is tremendous. Didn't, didn't miss a note. Just from the name, I am kind of motivated more to check out the complete well, works of Kills, which engage. To be honest, if I could just listen to one album, I'll be pleased with myself. I think his uh, Daylight Dies is pretty good. And he's got a little bit of the creed about him. Sold. Yeah. <laughs> Daylight Dies, it's a cheerful album then. It is. Oh, it's lovely. It's a lovely, lovely little family number. Oh, yeah, it's, it's when you're a six-year-old man driving through the countryside in a convertible. Hmm. Your wife's got one of those hairnets on, heading off to somewhere that you'd see in an Agatha Christie novel. It would be, be a wonderful time for everyone, and if you if you were lucky, you might get a land job from your wife as well. Listening to that. <laughs> okay, there we go then. <laughs> well, let's move on because we start the show with what is quickly becoming a regular feature as we deal with some corrections and clarifications. Oh, corrections, erections. Indeed. So obviously last week, we all remember Dos Hombres taking on old the Hollywood Blondes for the WWE See. Tag Team Championships. And of course, the Hollywood Blondes are Steve Austin and Brian Pillman. And Dos Hombres are Ricky Steamboat and Shane Douglas, but not on the show we watched last week. You see, in the show, you will remember that Ricky Steamboat and Shane Douglas were under masks. And Ricky Steamboat revealed his face halfway through the match, but Shane Douglas did not. And that is because it wasn't Shane Douglas under the mask, even though WCW pretended it was. It was, in fact, Tom Zenk, previously of the Can-Am connection in WWF with Rick Martel. And yeah, it wasn't even Shane Douglas. No wonder, Tom, you enjoyed the match even though Shane Douglas was supposedly in it. They've gone from Los Hombres, which are the men. They should be called Los Mentirosos. 
the liars. <laughs> the liars. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't it wasn't uh, Shane Douglas, and we didn't pick up on that at all. But I did a bit of digging between episodes, and um, yeah, that's how it uh, turns out. So, so just to further, I think Shane Douglas is an utter cunt <laughs> because he's made us think we've seen a match with him, and he wasn't in it. So again, more proof. In fairness, it wasn't really his fault because he didn't say that he was in it. It was WCW, Ricky Steamboat, and everybody else who pretended he was in the match. Yeah, so Steamboat's gone full shit here, hasn't he? He's let them live the lie and encouraged it. And poor old Tom Zenk, there have been people all around the world going, that is the fucking best match I've ever seen Shane Douglas have. And Tom, yes. poor, poor, God, poor old Tom Zenk's like, oh, oh, I'm pretty good. And everyone, anyone ever remembers him from his Can-Am connection days. You know, he was probably thinking, oh, no, I've had another good run. <laughs> hey. I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, so to avoid to avoid any further issues in this in this region, I thought I would do a little bit of digging before we discuss Elimination Chamber 2015, because that's what we're covering today. As you know, Elimination Chamber 2015. And there's some things we need to talk about. So, first of all, you'll obviously notice that this is not in its usual February position in the calendar, which is where it would normally be. Now, that's largely apparently because WWE find it hard sometimes to find arenas that fit that the Elimination Chamber fits in. So they decided from 2015 onwards that it would replace the Elimination Chamber with Fastlane. Strangely, though, they made the decision to shoehorn the event back into the calendar during 2015 at a time when they were or the only thing they had scheduled was a house show due to take place in Greenville, South Carolina. About three weeks before that. They announced that they were going to present this as a WWE Network special, the Elimination Chamber, and they cancelled the Greenville, South Carolina house show and moved the show to Corpus Christi, Texas, presumably because that was an arena that they knew could fit the Elimination Chamber. So this is a strange this is a strange old show because it was never originally booked in. It came out of nowhere sort of only about three or four weeks before the event actually took place. Not only that, but they had two weeks before this event presented Payback 2015 on pay-per-view. And then three days after that, they presented NXT and then NXT TakeOver special. And then two weeks after this event, they were due to have due to have the money in the bank pay-per-view as well. So they were absolutely chock full. This this schedule was ridiculously um, packed at the time. So some interesting context for everybody in terms of this show. You'd be pretty knocked off if you were a South Carolinian who'd bought a ticket, wouldn't you? And you're like, I just want to go and see our show, just have a nice time. Oh, they're doing a pay-per-view. Well, they're doing a, a network exclusive show. Oh, brilliant. Hang on. Corpus Christi? That's not where we live. That's far away. Oh, well, we'll still go. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the other thing is as well, without wanting to give too much away, that explains a lot. Mm, interesting interesting so let's talk about our expectations going into elimination chamber 2015 old man let's start with you what were your your expectations going in so we've had a few instances in recent shows where the person on the poster hasn't been on the pay-per-view i was hoping this was going to be one of those instances (laughs) who's on the who's on the poster old man it is ryan back (laughs) is on the poster and uh so this is 2015 so we're coming off of WrestleMania 31. I was not watching at all. So I was intrigued. I was intrigued. I wasn't dreading it. I'd be lying if I said I was excited to watch it. But I sat down with an open mind and open legs. And I let everything enter me in its natural form before formulating an opinion and then shitting it out on this podcast. 
Lovely, lovely visual for everybody. Thomas, <laughs> your expectations going in. What What do you guys think my expectations were going in? <laughs> well, Hi. based on your previous uh, opinions about 2016 and 2017 shows, I'm assuming that you were absolutely buzzing for this. Spoon out of the mouth, mate. Um, <laughs> now, I wasn't. I wasn't particularly looking forward to it. If I'm bit, if I'm being 100% honest, I was looking forward to. I always, I always look forward to watching everything in to, to some level because I know that I'm going to get a chance to discuss it with you boys and have a bit of a laugh. But that being said, I'm pretty sure. I think I've got my timeline sorted out now. Anything basically after WrestleMania 30, I'm not really interested in. Um, so I thought, but I'll, I'll give it a go with an open mind. And then that mind stayed open and it was filled with terrible thoughts. <laughs> Again, as, as standard, really, for you, for you to yeah. yeah, I know. Um, no, it, it, I was kind of thinking to myself, it's probably not going to be dreadful, but I don't know if I'm going to love it. There we go. That's my expectation. So this was the least intrigued I was going into a show so far because i definitely know i've seen it and i definitely remembered some of the stuff that happened on the show and that is also partially because this was been bang slap in the middle of me working for rest talk tv where i was watching the whole product everything on the product as well raw smackdown the lot and so i i went in thinking actually i know there's something that's very good on this show and i couldn't remember the rest in terms of the quality although i remembered pretty much what was on the show so as i say i was i wasn't that intrigued but i was quite interested to see how it held up as a, as an overall uh, event so yeah that was that was really the way i was feeling going in so this is a wwe network special as you said it was available on pay-per-view in some uh <laughs> sorry so it is a wwe network special that's available on pay-per-view <laughs> come on you pricks yeah i mean i don't know what was going on there they already even the pay-per-views the normal pay-per-views were still available on pay-per-view even though the wwe network was out in america and, and the uk and everything but this was also available in some markets i don't know whether they were markets that didn't have the network or just they were double selling i don't i don't know i don't know what they were up to um and it begins with the first of two elimination chamber contests i've skipped over all the introductions and all the video packages because i don't think there really was very much to discuss unless anybody had anything in particular they wanted to say uh, the only thing I've got to say is that there are two Brie mode signs in the crowd, which I thought was astonishing. Big star. What are you talking about? Yeah, weird. Like, I don't, don't have any problem with it. It's quite nice to see a different sign, but why have Brie mode when you can have Val Venus? <laughs> well, had, had Val Venus been a star of WWE's Total Diva show, then maybe mm. you would have got it. But... They wouldn't let him on there, the fucking swordsman. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose he's not, is he anymore? Because he got it cut off by Kai and Tai. No, it didn't, mate. Yeah, shrinkage. Ah, oh, poor little lamb. But again, what I wonder is, well, talking back to our discussion that we had, the the idea of the, the TV show that explains what happened in the week of. Yes. And that would be another amazing story. Does Val Venus think that he's had his dick off, like Richie in Bottom Live One, where he <laughs> thinks he loses his dick, and he's like, "There you are, hiding behind that pube." Um, <laughs> or is he, or is he like safe in the lodge and like Kai and Tai are walking around being like, "Ah, ah, ah we got his dick." And it's just nothing. <laughs> I'd love to see that. Um, just the fact that when they cut to right at the beginning, they introduce you to Michael Cole, JBL, and Jerry Lawler. Jerry Lawler doesn't know where the fuck he is. He's just sat there, it's like, looking so gorgeous. It's like he ain't got a clue what's going on. Kind of like me during this show most of the time. I think. Yeah. Um, so so the, yeah, we have the first of two Elimination Chamber matches to kick us off. And it is the first ever 
Elimination Chamber Tag Team Match, uh, which is for the WWE Tag Team titles. It features primetime players versus Los Matadores versus Cesaro and Tyson Kidd versus The New Day versus The Ascension versus The Lucha Dragons. And we kick off with The Ascension uh, and The Lucha Dragons to get the match kicked off. Interestingly, at the beginning, I'm going to run through these matches, the Elimination Chamber matches, similarly to how we ran through the Royal Rumbles, if that makes sense, just because there's probably a little bit more to talk about. I mean, this match is... 23 minutes long so it's quite long um and there are lots of individual compartments which make it easier for me to just block up and say this is what happened during this bit and so during this initial period it's not too bad but there are a lot of new day sucks chants during this and it's this is the most interesting thing i found during this match is i should say as well at this point that the new day were in full freebird rule mode where any of them any combination of the three could defend the title and on this occasion all three were defending the title, apparently, as they had done a favour for the authority briefly before this match. And yeah, I just wondered if you had any thoughts on the New Day's kind of status here as heels, which is kind of strange because it, it didn't last very long. And yeah, it's a bit uh, it's a bit different. They're great. They're really good heels. Really obnoxious. Really, really annoying heels. And you can see there's, there's little be- little bits of like the kind of comedy elements there. And the, the lack of self-awareness is there. But what I really like is that you can still notice like if you just like happen to just like catch Big E when he doesn't think the camera's on him, he's always pulling like a weird face or doing something or looking a bit odd, doing something a bit strange. You can see that in there. I really liked the fact that they all had to get in the cell together and they kept on saying that Xavier Woods was claustrophobic. <laughs> it was just like it was just like just a daft little like stupid thing that you know they probably said to the commentary team. They're like, when we get in there, make sure you see that Xavier's claustrophobic because I'll just add a little bit of something to it. But yeah, my note about the new days, they're not this is a bit of a stupid sentence, but I'm gonna round it. They're not where they should be yet, but you can see where they're going to be, and it's going to be good. Yeah, it was a bit bizarre because I think they were introduced as baby faces, or mm. the idea was to introduce them as baby faces, and very quickly people turned against it, didn't like it. So they, as a company, switched, shifted really quickly to making them heels, and then within about three or four months, again, they were back to being baby faces because people were cheering for them. But WWE were a bit slower to react, and they oh. kept them as heels for longer than they should have done in terms of the how they were presented anyway it was a bit it was a bit odd it was interesting hearing them come out to absolute silence on their initial entrance it was quite weird because obviously you've had only four years four or five years of them getting really positive well just noise it was just silence by silence plays a part in this show mm. it's probably the main player to be honest the silence <laughs> Well, the, it's, prime, it's, the prime time player, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I bloody love the prime time players. But like, like you said as well, like the the idea that a couple of m- weeks ago we watched a pay per view in which they came out and literally did nothing. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And they still got a massive reaction. It's clear to see right from the beginning they've got great chemistry with each other, and you can only kind of. I don't want to say hamper it, but it'll only you could tell that it wouldn't take long for them to become quite popular, especially looking at it in retrospect and it has happened. <laughs> yeah, see, it's, yeah, it's obvious, isn't it? It's obvious. The main uh, sort of, I guess, the main narrative of this first bit of the match when you just have these two teams in at the start is that Sin, uh, that uh, sorry, Callisto is is climbing all over the the pods, gets to the top of the New Day pod, and the New Day pull his legs from from below it so that he can't jump off of the pod to help Sin Cara in his battle against the two Ascension members. Yeah, and I may be wrong if Callisto wants to. Uh, wants to give us a call to let us know 
whether I'm wrong, but I don't think it's supposed to last quite as long as it does. <laughs> I think you might be right. To, he seems to have quite a lot of trouble now. And I'll be honest, I was scared for him because my head would have been like, I'm going to be here all bloody night. I'll be <laughs> lifting this up and I'll still be there. To be honest, it, it set the tone quite nicely for the rest of the match, I thought. Entrant number three are Cesaro and Tyson Kidd, and they take over. And Cesaro does a lovely uppercut uh, on Kalisto um, as he jumps up to the top of the turnbuckles and hit Kalisto, who's still on top of the pod, the New Day pod. We then get a moment where Jerry Lawler calls JBL or Michael Cole, I'm not really sure which one, JR, um, which they yes. make light of a lot during the rest of the show. <laughs> Leading into my theory that you ain't got a fucking clue where he is. Yeah. <laughs> or when, for that matter. Also, a quick note on Cesaro. I think it's before he's even out of the pod they mention his strength. Yes. <laughs> also, sorry, I just want to go on to the Ascension as well, because they start the match, don't they, with, mm-hmm. with um, the Lucha Dragons. The Ascension, again, presented at this stage for about 10 minutes in the main in the main roster as being pretty good, despite the fact they're pretty rubbish. They yell a lot, don't they? <laughs> they just All they do is just walk around the ring going, and that's basically all they do in the match. And on in terms of that, um, the, the Lucha Dragons, this is the second Sin Cara, yes? Yes, that's right. And he, again, he don't know what the fuck's going on either because he can't get the timing right for the Lucha Lucha chance. Little Kalisto is running around and he puts his soul into that. He properly goes for it. And it's like when you see, um, whenever you go onto like Instagram or whatever, and every now and again you'll see like these reels or these old TikTok videos of like someone dancing and like doing like a choreographed dance and with their mum doing it next to them. And their mum's just <laughs> slightly behind, looking a bit confused and don't really know what's going on. And that's what fucking Sinkara's like. He's an absolute shambles in there. <laughs> well, this is really a vehicle for Kalisto, isn't it? That's the thing. Like, the whole Loser Dragons was a way to introduce Kalisto to the audience. And they even gave him a little bit of a push the following year. I think he beat maybe even Ryback for the US he title did. or something. He, he did fucking yeah. have it right back. Yeah, so they were obviously quite high on Kalisto in maybe the role of replacing Rey Mysterio long term, I suppose. Um, and so, and probably Sin Cara already knew it that he was really just there to kind of move his arms. Just crying, doing his own. <laughs> <laughs> Funny enough, Sin Cara means the afterthought in Spanish. <laughs> At this point, Kalisto has managed to get off of the pod, but then we get the fourth entrance, which are the Los Matadores, and uh, Kalisto then decides to go climbing elsewhere. He, he decides to climb up the side, <laughs> of the side of the chamber, and he spends about 10 minutes doing that as well. In the meantime, El Torito, who we should mention, is also in the chamber, even though he's not obviously part of the Los Matadores team, jumps off the top of their pod and um, does a lovely looking Hurricane Rana on on Cesaro. Any thoughts on this lot? Callisto's climb is yes. painful <laughs> because he so he climbs the other side and then climbs to the middle. It's very impressive. The he's roof, hanging. yeah. Yeah, he's hanging. And uh, he obviously realises what he's doing. It reminds me of uh, Michael in The Lost Boys when they're hanging from the uh, bridged railroad track and all the vampires fall down, but Michael's not going to. He's a human. He's scared. He's scared, but he just he has to let go. And then you just hear, ah, and then he falls in. Ah, and that's what Kalisto reminded me of. Kalisto was an embarrassment in this match. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was sad for him because I wouldn't have wanted to do what he was doing. And he 
clearly didn't want to do what he was doing. So let's just call the whole thing off. It was a bit strange. It felt like they a bunch of really convoluted things that they wanted him to do. Yeah. And he was and it just didn't really it, it made the whole thing really messy. And then the jump that he does off of the the roof because he's basically dangling from the ceiling of the of the uh, chamber is a bit like it's a bit rubbish because everyone has to basically stop wrestling in the middle of the ring hold their yeah. arms up ready to catch him <laughs> they, they, what they try and do in this in this hell in the cell in this elimination chamber they try and do stuff that's really innovative they're trying to do something different every time but it's like no one's thought about it no one's thought about the optics of it or the visuals and that one in particular you're right thinking it looks shit over it in daft calisto spot and daft is the right word because it is fucking daft but if it wasn't daft enough that uh he did that then torito does exactly the same thing dives off the hanging from the ceiling but the ascension catch him and absolutely (laughs) lobbers into one of the matadors i don't know which one's which they are of course epico and primo um cologne um but i don't know which one's which similarly with the dos hombres where we didn't really know who was who Mm. i loved it when they threw old torito (laughs) probably and when that happened i laughed very loudly the Ascension then eliminate Los Matadors and then they do the same to the Lucha Dragons. So we are down at this point just to Cesaro and Tyson Kidd um, in the Ascension before entrant number five comes in, which is the prime time players. They dominate the Ascension and eliminate them easily after all that kind of build where the Ascension... Yeah, I was convinced they were going to win it. The prime time players, I'm going to get a viscerate from old man, but fuck me. Tyson, you're so shit. He is so rubbish. Darren, I got so I had so much respect for Darren Young in this match because my word, he puts in a shift. I got so much more time from him than I did at the beginning, and, and there's too much flesh on display from Titus in there. It's too much. Let's get an elbow pad on or something like that, and it'll break it all up. But you just too much of too much skin going around. He's fucking massive. He's got tiny pipes on. He makes me feel inadequate. Oh, come on, Titus. I like Titus. Because I think he seems like a lovely man. Yes. But I, I completely agree. He cannot move. Like, he has the knees of the great Carly, I think, and the agility of Lex Luger. <laughs> and the hair of me. It's a heck of a trio. <laughs> the thing is, and again, yeah, I will, I will caveat this by saying he does seem like a lovely guy. And I actually feel quite sorry for him as well, because he evidently is a lovely guy. And he has... um. His career is defined by him falling over, trying to get into the ring in that Royal Rumble, (laughs) getting fired by Vincent Mann for touching him on TV and having to be brought out by that fucking shit-ass Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania this year. Poor bastard. At least he's remembered for something. Some of them don't even get remembered. Uh, And, you know, it's really, really strange because they they had the primetime players together. They split them up. They brought them back together. They split them up again. They never did anything with either Darren Young or Titus O'Neil. It was worth a damn. Why are they just keeping together? What's wrong with them? Like neither of them are that impressed. Like you've just you've just talked about Titus O'Neil. They're stretching his talent, for want of a better phrase. Darren Young's nothing special either. Just keep them as a tag team. They're perfectly functional. They're all right. Yeah. Well, they tried to put Darren Young with Bob Backlund, didn't they? For a little bit. <laughs> yes. Let's get him over, lads. Weird. <laughs> like this was like would have been probably been 2017, I think, as well, or 2018. No one's crying out for no one's crying out for a Robert Backlund, are they? Bob Backlund in his prime. I think we can all agree. <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't add the Iron Sheik to him as well, like they did with the Sultan back in the day. <laughs> oh, amazing. I'll tell you what. The problem is with this match is the same with loads of multi-people matches. People start breaking up at everyone else's pins. 
and it's an elimination match. Yeah. Oh, Put some fucking brains in your ears. In between your ears. <laughs> He's had another Todd Grisham moment. Yeah. Um, there's one. There's one sad bloke desperately trying to get a "This is awesome" chat going for an uncomfortably long time. He's just saying, "This is awesome." About six times. This is awesome. This, and then he, he, he stops, and he does it again later on. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, lad, what a champion. He's my MVP of the night. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so entrant number six are the New Day, and it is all three of them. Um, they come in and they get four-man triple suplexed by the primetime players Cesaro and Kid. They Cesaro and Kid then lock Xavier Woods in a pod. Cesaro then does a swing on Kofi uh, into a dropkick by Tyson Kidd. And then Darren Young schoolboy Cesaro for uh, another elimination, which means we're down to the primetime players and the new day. I wanted to touch though upon Tyson Kidd and Cesaro because there's a tag team that uh, were very decent and unfortunately yes. were unable to fulfil their potential because of Tyson Kidd injury. I kind of forgotten how good Tyson Kidd was, and then I was watching this and I was going, "What a waste of a good neck, poor lad." And I tell you what, I bloody love a bit of Cesaro in a tag team because you know that he is like, "What can we do that would be really cool?" So what what spot could we do that looks really cool? What double team could we do that looks really cool? And the fact that they they've both gone all in, aren't they? They both yeah. were, they've both come down. They've got they haven't got matching types. They've got their own individual types, but they've got a nod to each other on there. So like Cesaro's got like pink and black tights. Tyson Kidd's got like pink and black trunks, although they're with their own design on it. They come down with like matching jackets. They've got these like really big obnoxious like Beats by Dre headphones on. They just kind of they've got a look of a tag team. I will say is this, I'm sure I've said this before already, but I'll tell you what, no one takes a swing better than Bikofi. Yeah. It's amazing. All arms, what a lad. Yeah. Of course, this is a really silly thing for the primetime players to do because they are now outnumbered by the New Day, especially after Big E releases Xavier Woods from uh, the pod that he was locked in briefly. And then there's a belly-to-belly by Big E on uh, Darren Young on the metal grating, and the New Day use the numbers advantage to pin Titus O'Neil. In fact, all three of them jump on top for the pin. And we are through the first match, 23 minutes and 40 seconds. Overall thoughts on the match? It's just a bit clunky. I, I didn't think it was great, if I'm being honest. I, I, there's a couple of good spots. Specifically, I think the, the most enjoyable thing about the match for me was probably Tyson Kidd and Cesaro. Some of their double-team moves are, are really cool. And seeing the, an early version of the, the New Day that I'd kind of forgotten about. But it wasn't great for me. I agree. I felt not very good, in all honesty. There's a lot going on. I, to be honest, I feel like it doesn't recover from the Callisto shenanigans. Mm. And also the crowd. I, feel, I get the feeling that the crowd in South Carolina would have been better. I think they probably would have been more up for it. But uh, yeah, just I didn't feel it was very good, to be honest. And also, JBL sounds very bored. Well, until, until, he start, until he starts rambling about Sepp Blatter at the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like, I ain't people, it's a bladder, my dog, cow. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what you mean? You, you don't predetermine results in the WWE. Is that what you're saying, JBL? Um, I thought it was a bit messy, uh, obviously. I think that's the main thing you get from it. It's a messy match. And I think that's probably a consequence of the fact that you've got 12 people, actually 13, 14 people in this match, mm. because obviously of Torito as well in the in the chamber. And this is the first. This is obviously the first time we did a tag team elimination chamber match. I don't know if they've done another one since, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they hadn't, based on what they would have seen from here and just the overcrowded nature of the of the whole thing. 
but the thing for me is and i this is a this is ultimately really just my own bias shown through i really like elimination chamber matches i find them hard to dislike because even if you the first five minutes came along and there is a bit dull because you know they're introducing somebody else in just a moment you always got the promise that it could just change the whole match can just change just like that when somebody new comes in and so i always find them quite entertaining i never struggle through them ever and i like this one i you know 23 minutes i i didn't find it boring i was entertained all the way through i enjoyed it but i agree it was it's, it's messy it's not well executed the Kalisto spots are incredibly convoluted and as you say old man i'm pretty sure that first one where he's on top of the New Day pod goes wrong about seven times and, they, and he spends an inordinate amount of time on top of it. Um, but other than that, uh, I enjoyed can, it. Can you imagine the state of his bollocks after? Because he would have just been rubbing bollocks on the old uh, chain link. Oh, that was horrible. That was a terrible mess. Bully stone. <laughs> <laughs> trying to think of a better one than I can. It's annoying. Uh no, it's not. It's not happening. No. So then, then we get an advert for Money in the Bank, which is going to take place in two weeks' time. And as part of that, we see Dolph Ziggler's 2012 win and his cash in nine months later on Raw after WrestleMania 28, I guess it would have 29. 29, it would have yeah. been. We are then told that Rusev won't be in tonight's Intercontinental Title Elimination Chamber match after fracturing his foot on SmackDown. So we have a mystery opponent in that match. That's, that's exciting, isn't it? That's exciting. Yeah, who's it going to be? <laughs> Could it be Savio Vega? That would that would be really impressive. Could it be CM Punk returning? Could it be D'Lo Brown? Could it be Big Val? I'll tell you one, one thing that caught me off guard with this. Rusev is absolutely enormous. Yeah, huge. Yeah, I was like, bloody hell, I didn't remember him being that big. Then backstage, Lana tells Ziggler that the IC title will look really good around his waist. She then wishes him good luck for the match as Dolph Ziggler hopes that they can be together. And she tells him to not focus on that just yet. This is obviously smack dab in the middle of the weird storyline where Rusev and Lana were estranged and Lana went with Dolph Ziggler and that they put the guy kibosh on not too long afterwards because it was well rubbish quite frankly no one cares about that shit do they like the women have a much bigger part to play than just that now like even and with respect and i like especially at this point she wasn't wasn't a wrestler and when she did have a little tumble she wasn't very good at it but she's just a manager isn't she there doesn't need to be a love interest element it could just be a I'm your manager. Look at Sensational Sherry. Apart from that fake blow job into a low blow that she does on the old uh, warrior in the clip before WrestleMania 7. Well, no, she kind of like alluded to it, didn't she? I reckon she did it in her head. Which part Uh, did she do in her head? Because she didn't do either of the things you said. I reckon she does the low blow in her head because I don't think she wants to be sucking that gammy dick. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, imagine all the tassels over it. It'd be a nightmare, I'd imagine. (laughs) She um, just, I've got bloody tassels in me bloody throat. <laughs> anyway, they didn't feel the need to lower. And I think it is lower. Lower her to that. I just think it's not interesting. And I also think that you yeah. were trying to kind of portray Rusev in a way that is kind of serious and is kind of, I don't know, like a, a, a heel that is tough and has got a kind of mission. And you just feel a bit like this is a bit frivolous, really, for a character such as Rusev that you're trying to sell that year's WrestleMania, for example, for John Cena. So it just feels a bit out of place. Well, and, and you've also got 
baby-faced Dolph Ziggler. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just, he's a dickhead. So, you know what I mean? Like, why... I, I mean, I, I can't speak for the man in real life, but he always comes across his character, regardless of whether he's a baby-faced or a heel, he comes across as an absolute nose. You know whose fault this is? It's all of ours as fans. What had happened, obviously, is... and actually, it's, Don't put that evil on us. Yeah, it's all of your fault, basically. It's pertinent to this clip that they show. Because obviously Ziggler won the money in the bank as a heel. And then the fans were loving him. They were like, oh, he's amazing. He's fantastic. He should be like, win. he should win the world championship. We want to see him win the world championship. They wanted him to cash in the money in the bank at WrestleMania that year. I don't know if you remember, 29. And then, of course, he did cash in the money in the bank. And he had Big E and um, AJ Lee by his side at the time as well. Uh, so more heel trappings that they gave him. And then he came in, he cashed in the money back, and everyone went mental for it. They loved it so much. So WWE felt kind of pressured and rushed into turning him into a babyface. And they did. They didn't have any plans for him. And he isn't a natural babyface anyway. And since then, he's been insufferable. Yeah. And the thing is as well, like, I, I'd say I want, I would, I've never liked Dolph Ziggler. But I want, him to catch, I want him to catch in and lose. Do you know why? Because he thinks he's got pot noodle hair, and he hasn't. <laughs> I'll tell you what, you've said some pretty salacious things about Dolph, but I think that's the worst. I think that's going to really hit a man where it hurts. <laughs> I like it. So next up is the triple threat match for the Divas title. It features Nikki Bella defending her belt against Naomi and Paige. The match goes for six minutes and four seconds. And Nikki hits the rack attack on Naomi for the win. Tom, your thoughts on this match? Standard creepy Jerry Lawler comment at the beginning of the match, which everyone knows sells. And he then, you know, unfortunately it carries on throughout the rest of the match, as you'd expect. I actually thought this match was pretty good. You know, I think Nikki Bella is improving vastly at this stage in her career. She's, she's becoming decent. Naomi is again, good, but quite unpolished, a little bit rough around the edges, but still pretty good. And I'd forgotten how good Paige was, how much I enjoyed watching Paige wrestle. Mm. Um, there's a couple of nice spots in it. There's there's a nice similar to, to the, in the previous match, but there's a kind of German suplex powerbomb spot that looks that looks pretty cool. That's pretty good. There is my least favourite move to watch though in this match, and it's when Naomi does a reverse Hurricane Rana on Paige, and when you have to sell it by doing a backflip onto your head. Effectively, oh, yeah. I I hate watching watching that move. But the most annoying thing about it is that. It's com- the crowd is uncomfortably quiet. No one gives a fuck. And to be honest, it happens quite a lot for this. The majority of this pay-per-view is that the crowd is just silent. But I really noticed it in this match. And I think they they deserve better than that. Because I thought the match deserved a reaction where it got none. Oh, man. I agree with Tommy completely. I, Paige is great. Naomi is very stiff. I don't really have a lot more to add, apart from Tommy, but... One thing at the end, really ground my gears. So it's quite a hard-hitting match. They all take a few licks. Lovely old job. We're having a good time. Nikki Bella, as you say, wins it with a rack attack. Completely no-sells everything that's happened. Is immediately up, pointing her finger in the air. Lovely old job. I've won. Skips up the ramp. And it's like, what? You just you had a pretty hard-hitting six-minute match. I meant the only six minutes, so I'm not, not expecting her to be selling it like Randy Savage at that WrestleMania. But yeah, I was just a bit like, oh, you've kind of taken all of that away. But maybe she just couldn't wait to get away from all the fucking moron fans. Yeah, well, you got to remember who her husband is or who her boyfriend was at the time. That's true. Who else does that? Yeah. Oh, oh great Carly. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I was um, I was not as impressed with this match as you two were. I'm not saying you thought it was a classic or anything, but I, I just thought it was a bit, I thought it was a bit sloppy actually in places. And I, I agree that Nikki was improving by this point, but she was coming from quite a low kind of ceiling in fairness. And Naomi is still relatively green at this point. Paige is the best thing in the match. And she must have been only about 20 years old herself, even by this point. They're before, they're, in fact, they're literally just before the arrival of Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch and uh, Sasha Banks at this point. They're just about to ha- introduce those into the, the main roster. And it needed it, quite frankly, on this this evidence, because not only was I didn't think this a particularly good match, but as you said, the, the, the fans were not at all interested. In fairness, though, maybe there's a comparison problem here, because let's not forget that the women on the NXT roster, who I've just mentioned, were having those great matches for at least mm-hmm. a year prior to this point. And, you know, let's not forget that in August, Bailey and Sasha Banks have their incredible match at NXT TakeOver uh, New York. And basically, you're seeing such a contrast in quality between the main roster and what's happening on NXT that I wonder if that's the reason this has happened, is that by comparison, this is just nothing. Yeah, it's a very fair point. I would like to think that I'd have had a couple of beers and I'd have got excited, but I'd probably, I'm probably inclined to have been with the rest of the crowd, although they're still cunts. So after the match, Brie comes out to celebrate with Nikki, and there's almost a suggestion that something might happen, but it doesn't. Mm. They just celebrate yeah. together. And this is kind of, during this period, there was this whole strange thing with Brie and Nikki, where Nikki had turned on Brie, and then Brie had just forgiven her out of mm. nowhere, and... It was really odd, but there was the whole thing with Stephanie and Brie in their feud. And then Nikki had turned on Brie and it felt, I don't know, it all felt a bit strange and very strange. I just, thought, I just thought it was really shit. It that was really was, shit. Yeah, that, that was my mm. takeaway from it. And yeah. After this, there's an advert for the WWE Swerved from the director of oh. Jackass, don't you know? <laughs> Which looks hilarious. There's people sitting on chairs and then electricity comes through the chair. <laughs> oh, and then the big show's talking and the lights go off Swerve <laughs> uh, looks awful almost as awful as the Offspring song they've got as the official theme for the pay-per-view the Offspring in 2015 just really? after a Jackass rip-off in 2015 <laughs> and this is not long before they announced the Jerry Springer thing yeah. in 2015 it's like Vince has really got his finger on that pops. Really well, got his. So much so that a couple of years later, he would name one of his pay-per-views Great Balls of Fire. That's how much yes. on the pulse he had his finger. Do you know the kids like Jerry Lee? Lights. <laughs> Fucking up, all right. Jesus Christ, Vince. There is then and a his video. Great Balls of Fire. There is then a video to hype John Cena versus Kevin Owens and Cena's US Open Challenge, which has been going since WrestleMania 31. Owens answering the challenge, but saying he didn't want to fight for the US belt and he didn't and he wanted to do it on his own terms. And so they were going to wrestle at this show, John Cena versus Kevin Owens. We're going to do it on my own terms. It's going to be a normal wrestling match. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. Like, I'm going to do it on my terms. Yeah, we'll just do a match. Yeah. <laughs> The end of the match comes when Cena misses a clothesline and Owen hits a pop-up powerbomb for the victory after 20 minutes. Old man, your thoughts on the contest? It's very good. So there's a few problems with it. One, the commentators, right? Owens gets clotheslined, I think, by Cena. Welcome to the WWE, Mr. Owens. Welcome to the big time. So immediately, so you've got, like, as you said, Tinky, you're about to have the ladies from NXT. 
debut on the roster. You've got a little steady stream of people just starting to come through, immediately shitting on everyone who's like doing that. And uh, they also then go on to say, oh, John Cena is going to keep the pace. He is going to keep the pace. But he'd been down for about three minutes on the floor at this point, selling some injury. And I was like, yes, stupid sod. It is very good. And they have quite good chemistry. Kevin Owens is, I said before, I think watching this stuff kind of is how very, very good he is. The problem with it is that, so Owens finisher is the pop-up powerbomb. For some reason, they have seen a kick out of it about three, four minutes from the end of the match. And I can't understand it because... You're just immediately taking his finish away, like immediately. And you want to make him look strong, surely. And I mean, the whole kicking out of finishes thing is infuriating anyway. But it just seems like so illogical to like Cena doesn't need protecting. You don't need to. John Cena doesn't need to kick out of a finisher to look strong. Just kind of kind of took away from it. But at least the crowd were awake. And Cena's desperately trying to look like a cool dad when he comes to the ring and whatever he's wearing. That's about it, really. They certainly do come awake for this one. They're pretty, they're pretty mm. huge for this one. I, I, I want to just address that thing because you're absolutely right. It's ridiculous that at this time in particular, people were just kicking out finishes all the time. John Cena in particular, his matches were filled with people mm. kicking out finishes, and. I think that it's not about protecting John Cena in a kind of kayfabe way, but protecting his reputation now as a wrestler, because you might remember this period of time, obviously John Cena won the US title and then started issuing the US Open Challenge every week on Raw. And it was pretty much every week. And he was having excellent matches every single week on Raw at the time. I think one my one match that sticks in my head is one he had with Neville not long before this, where basically he really made Neville look his equal for a bit and i think it's actually at this point that he's trying to assert a reputation for himself as a great wrestler in the ring because it's something that perhaps he didn't have at the time people were kind of like still shitting on his performances and for obvious reasons the thing is is that i think the criticism against cena is that technically he's not that sound nobody ever argued though that his matches weren't exciting or interesting because they nearly always were especially against really especially against good workers he never had a bad match against a cm punk or a daniel bryan or a kevin owens or anybody like that his issue was in his in more the technical side of things and that he never worked to improve which is ridiculous so it, I, I wonder if i think it's just that i think john cena had got reliant on the drama of kicking out of finishers and other people kicking out of his finisher which also happens during this match that that's why it happens as opposed to sort of protecting him as a, as a kind of top star there, this is drawing the old big match john thing <laughs> yes. isn't it that's always <laughs> yeah. the amount of times they say specifically jbl says big match in this is bordering on obscene it's like he's got some kind of tick or something like that i quite like this match there's a couple of things i did like in it fair play to johnson he gets really high for the old pop-up powerbomb. That mm. lad can jump. It's quite impressive. But where Jerry Lauder goes, you won't, this match is going to be a slugfest. You won't see a triple moonsault or whatever immediately after. Um, <laughs> Kevin Owens goes up to the top rope. It doesn't moonsault. Misses. Owens kicking out of the AA genuinely seems to catch people off guard in this match. Mm. Despite what you said earlier, Tinky, I reckon a lot of people were like, yeah, well, listen, God, my next DC not be him easily. Um, there's a couple of things I really liked in it, but one thing I wouldn't know is about the crowd. You're right, the crowd do get a bit more into it, but they still don't ever get really into it in a way that I think most other crowds would. But there's a bit where 
Kevin Owens does like the five knuckle shuffle and he does like the pose and everything. There's just no reaction from the mm-hmm. crowd at all. They don't care. I've heard this level of him level that in before, but I can in this match as well. Maybe because they've both got short hair, I could really see John Cena calling the match. I don't know. I don't know why I noticed it more in this, but I find it really obvious. And the other thing I've got in here as well, it, it really showed Kevin Owens' array of moves as well, especially the high-impact moves. Like, he does that weird suplex thing off the top rope. He hits a moonsault. He does. He goes for the frog splash. He's got, you know, just some really, really cool, really cool offensive moves just that makes it feel like quite desperate. And then at the end of the match, uh, Michael Cole says that might be the most monumental win in WWE history, which yeah. I thought was slight, almost hyped, just so hyperbolic, it could have been said by old man on this podcast. <laughs> um, and, but one thing I did quite like is that the ref and John Cena fuck off straight away. They're gone. They're not trying to sell John Cena, sad John Cena, <laughs> around in the ring. Um, they're just done. Out. Um, also, uh, it's a little bit in this match as well where Jerry Lawler does his sad voice when he's, yeah. bit, where he's like, guys, I don't think, I don't know if John Cena's going to win this. I don't <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, guys. I think. <laughs> I I didn't. I I thought the crowd really were invested. Maybe just my interpretation of it. I found that they were. It might be just a contrast to the fact that they weren't into the previous match at all. But I found that they were really into it. I agree with most of what you said. I think this is. I remember when we were talking about the 2016 payback show when Kevin Owens fought Sami Zayn, and I got a li- I was a little bit like, this is what annoys me about Kevin Owens. Is not him but just the way they presented him. And the reason is because of this match where he comes in first match on the main roster beats John Cena clean one, two, three in the middle of the ring. And I'm like, wow, great. Roll with that. Go all in now. Don't, don't, don't hesitate. Don't worry about kind of, Oh, we need him to pay his dues or whatever. No, just do it. Hammer him home. Like there was absolutely no reason for them to have any kind of rematch after this, in my opinion. They should have just had Kevin Owens beat John Cena and then say, I'm not wrestling you again. Why, why would I have beaten you? I don't need to prove anything against you ever again. But no. And then they kind of and then, yeah. And, and then he kind of gets by less than one year later, as we saw with Payback 2016. He's demoted into a mid card title feud um and i've no problem with him being against Sami Zayn. i just have a problem with him getting involved in the intercontinental title um the only way i could accept that is if Sami Zayn had won the icy belt and owens had said well i want that now because you've got it and that's the only reason why he should have gone after it the other thing is he then pursues the icy belt not just not just at 2016 payback but earlier than that at the end of this year but he that's con- contradictory to what he says as the premise of this feud, which is, I don't want the US title belt. I've got the NXT championship. I'm already a champion. I don't need that belt. Um, but I will face you in a champion versus champion match, which is why the US title is not on the line in this in this match, because Kevin Owens has said he doesn't even want it. So I just find it really, really frustrating, given this start, that he would go on to have do what happened with him. But I think it's a great match, and I remember it being a great match. I really enjoyed it. It does heavily rely on kicking out of stuff that people shouldn't really be kicking out of and i do have a problem with that in general but watching it now in isolation without all the stuff around it uh i think it's really good i think it's a really good match i, I also like like what you said to guide you know another note i've got i said i really like this match but what's happened to kevin owens since now i know he has like had a universal title championship run and stuff like that but i remember say for example i remember um turning on um, WWE around about WrestleMania 21 ish, having not watched it, I've been like, fucking hell, that's Bradshaw's at the main event of WrestleMania. Um, you could 
not you could watch this pay-per-view or a couple of episodes of Raw from around this time, and you could come back now, and Kevin Owens would seemingly be the exact same. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but that, that's kind of what you said, and that's how I feel about it as well. Well, yeah, and I think I think the thing is, even even if you consider that he's had the Universal title and he's been involved in main event feuds since, it's almost dampened by the fact they didn't go just go straight in. Like, imagine them booking, imagine WCW booking Vader in the same way during the early 90s. And you get my disappointment with this. Mm. You could make Owens the Vader of WWE at that point if you just go hammer him straight into the main event and say, look, he's unstoppable. He, like, no one can stop him. He's fantastic. He's brilliant. And they don't do it. And they and then they kind of have him kind of flailing around with the IC belt and Dean Ambrose. And, and Dean Ambrose also being defined down by this point as well. So they're just a, basically a, a poor middle, middle of the road, middle um mid card kind of feud and it just it's below him like he's too good to do that with and he's also the size of a guy that you either got to treat 100% as a, a fighter and will will beat the crap out of everybody or just don't bother because for me it's, it's instantly less valuable if you demote him in any way even briefly than than it would be if you just strapped the rocket to him and put him straight into the main events and basically had very few people beat him yeah Another quick note on John Cena and his US title. I forgot to mention this when we were chatting. He uh, stares at and kisses the US title before giving it to the ref, as if he's saying goodbye to it one last time. Except the title's not on the line, which is yeah. strange. Um, yeah. After the match, Kevin Owens takes the microphone and says that now everybody knows who Kevin Owens is. He says he's the man who started a fight with John Cena, and he's also the man who finished that fight. And he tells Cena that his time is up. And, quote, my time is now because the champ is here. Which I thought was a pretty cool end to the match, everyone. I thought it was a really good promo. Well, it's an amazing promo. And then I think it's after the next match they announce the rematch. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, OK. Like, to to both of your points here, it's instantly to that way he's going to... We know how that's going to end. Because mm. they've got to do the old, the old three-way punch, haven't they? Well, not only that, but they've got to have John Cena avenge the, the loss he's just taken. Bloody right they have. Oh, big match, John. And that's why there's no value in this win. That's the thing for me is that mm. if you, you've you instantly give it back, it's just there's no point. Just don't do it because it's just pointless. I'll tell you someone who did see some value in the win, and that's Byron Saxton. He's very happy with it when they go to the kickoff panel. Very surprised as well. They go on to fight each other at the next two pay-per-views. Yes. Which John Cena wins both of them. Yeah, exactly. Go on, John. One of which by submission. Uh, I I just think I think the thing is is that they at this time obviously they didn't know John Cena was going to be injured for the following year's WrestleMania. And for me, the 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 ideal here would be Kevin Owens beats him. Kevin Owens then refuses to face him again because he says I've proved everything I need to prove against you, John Cena. You're done. I'm better than you. Moves on, goes on to win the WWE title. Cena could then even need to win the Rumble to get a shot at him. Wins the Rumble and then you've got a ready-made main event for WrestleMania the following year. Really simple. Not not hard at all. Anyone could come up with that. It would have been far better than what they ended up with. Unfortunately, of course, John Cena did get injured, so that wouldn't have been possible in the end, but they weren't to know that at the time. But they could they could have also built it to SummerSlam, which is if they were like, do you know what? We don't fancy we're not we're not capable of that long term booking. We'll do it to SummerSlam. That would still be something, wouldn't it? Yeah, maybe. Uh I just think that it's one of those classic kind of WWE getting cold feet on somebody who's new and not wanting to go all in with them. And I just, 
they've kind of done it once i mean they did it with styles i think they kind of did it with aj styles but but other than that i can't think of anyone they've done it with for a very long time and it's a shame as you say, the next bit we have is the all-star kickoff panel with Renee Young, Booker T, Corey Graves, and Byron Saxon. You know how much I love the, uh, the kickoff do. panels. I can, I can um, hear it in your voice. <laughs> okay, so uh, before we carry on with the rest of the show, let's just take a quick break, and we're back in just a second. On my first night on Raw, I said anybody who didn't know me yet wasn't worth my time. Well, now... Everyone knows who Kevin Owens is. I'm the man who started a fight with John Cena, but I'm also the man who just finished that fight. And now that I've beaten John Cena, John, I have some veteran advice. It's time for you to go because your time is way up. But my time is now because the champ is here. So welcome back to the show. And up next, we have Bo Dallas come out for his match with Neville. And he cuts a promo on the way to the ring saying that he tried to help Neville and says that is t- tonight he's going to force Neville to Bo leave. Um, yes. He then faces Neville in a match that lasts eight and a half minutes, which ends when Neville uh, hits the red arrow and pins Dallas. Uh, old man, thoughts on this one? So I genuinely think if it wasn't for the red arrow the crowd would have all fallen asleep during this point because they are so uninterested it's it's actually quite offensive how uninterested they are in this it's not particularly very good so i can't really blame them um, <laughs> it's all over the place and he's i'm sure old man's got a bit of bipolar going on sometimes <laughs> no it's good no so if i was there they'd have had me i'd have been watching and i would have tried to get involved but it isn't very good. I loathe to say this, but Bo Dallas does not look in very good shape. No. Like, compared to... Because I was like, when I watched this, I was like, I'd written it down and I was like, am I actually being a bit harsh? And then I looked back not long before this, like when he won the NXT title, and I looked and I was like, oh no, he actually has really let himself go. And um, Bo Dallas is weird, which I really enjoy. He's a good level of weird in the match. But the match is... The match seems to be about Neville hurting his knee or something, or someone hurting their <laughs> knee, and then, and yeah, and then then there's the red arrow, and then it's done, and we can all go in and have a little biscuit. Well, this is the second match that JBL mentioned Set Blatter during as well. So he's, <laughs> he's, he's got he's got a he's got a fucking thing for Set Blatter. I don't know what's going on. Earlier on, I think in the show as well, he talks about rugby at some point, mm-hmm. and you just know that nobody watching has a, a clue what he's talking about, especially if most of them are in America. It's ridiculous. <laughs> It just rings when he does the same fucking shit. He's like, ah, brother, it's just him desperately trying to make it look like he's interested in things that aren't wrestling. Do you know what I mean? And it's just tr- desperately trying to shoehorn anything that may have its slightest modicum of relevance to anything, which it doesn't. Fuck off, JBL. Yeah, indeed. Tom, your thoughts on the match? 
Oh, shit. Uh, Bo Dallas is so wet when he comes out. It's actually quite upsetting. He <laughs> <laughs> looks proper gross. Um, a couple of highlights. I've got much because the match wasn't very good. But I like the fact that Bo Dallas gets put in a chin lock at one point and he just screams while he's in it, which, which amused me. There's quite an interesting, interesting bit you don't really see often. I don't, I don't remember ever seeing this before where Bo Dallas gets behind Neville for like a schoolboy roll-up roll but then just chucks him out of the ring. And I was like, oh, no, that's, that's interesting. I've never seen that before. Like, it's just one of those little daft little things where you're like, yeah, I've n- never seen that before. But like old man said, no one gives a shit apart from one guy. That guy again from earlier. <laughs> Let's go Neville. Let's go Neville. Okay, I'll fuck myself. <laughs> uh, yeah, apart from him, no one else is. No one else gives a shit. That guy, fucking bless his soul, bless his little cotton socks. He's trying his best to get the crowd all in, and there, all the rest of the crowd are sat there going, "Fuck off, nerd! I'm fingering someone." <laughs> In fairness, it's not just the crowd who don't care, nor do the commentators. They spend the majority of this match arguing about some cold shot that they keep going on about that some that happened in baseball, I think, like 50 years ago or some shit. And that's what they talk about for the entire fucking time. In fact, apparently they, they seem to get it wrong about five times because they keep arguing about who it was that did it, what team they played for and when the year, when what year it was in. It's ridiculous. This is in relation to Kevin Owens calling the fact that he would beat John, he would come in and beat John Cena on the first day in the WWE. So they clearly don't give a fuck about the match either. Um, Neville is incredibly impressive athletically. Oh, he's just amazing. he's just phenomenal. Like he does that. There's one bit where he kind of does a sort of I don't know like triple somersault thingy across the ring and lands it perfectly. And you just like he's so good athletically. But there's just a disconnect between that and what he does in the ring. And I don't know what it is because I think he still has a problem now, if I'm honest, even though he's kind of been a heel for a, a good while. But there's still a disconnect between, for me between he either is really impressive athletically and therefore it t- takes away from his menace. The, the fact that you feel like he doesn't he's not actually that hard or that kind of uh, got that much his toughness in him or he comes across as a heel and seems quite tough but doesn't do any of the athletic stuff or does a whole lot less of it it's, it's weird like it must be just a really difficult thing to get the balance right i suppose yeah well and balance is something he's evidently very good at as well. exactly uh, <laughs> the, the irony is magnificent i i never really got a hard on for neville no i mean like and and there's no reason to they they, they never gave you any reason <laughs> It just and there's no reason to <laughs> well you know like metaphorically speaking there is no reason I, to. I, w- I wouldn't speak in metaphorically mate. <laughs> wwe give you no reason to care about him really and he is pretty much just the red arrow that's the thing yeah. like if you watch his early matches they just do their best to get over the move which again in a, in a lesser time when there weren't lots of aerial maneuvers probably would have worked but Everyone's doing an aerial maneuver these days. I will say though, it is fucking impressive. Oh, it's fun, fantastic! It? It's but once you've seen it a couple movie. of times, you're not going to get excited for it anymore, and you certainly are going to sit there waiting for it during the whole match until he does it. Also, it's, it's his, his name's his name's Neville. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if WWE didn't realise that that is a particularly unimpressive name in the UK. Going back to the Red Arrow, it is very impressive, I say, but it's not it's not the money shot, is it? <laughs> Or a Dilo Brown's Frog Splash. Yeah. Or what is? Or what is? Mm. Um, 
And Bo Dallas, I, I'm going to talk about this again. Even, I'll, I'll probably do this every time you ever see Bo Dallas or even think about Bo Dallas. Should have been part of the Wyatt family. And I don't understand, especially at this point, when he's playing effectively a motivational speaker, how it wouldn't have been really easy for him to just become Bray Wyatt's preacher. They could make loads of great stories off that. Bo Dallas backstage trying to extol the virtues of the good name of Bray Wyatt to some random person. The random person attacks him, says, I don't want to hear your shit. And then that causes a match between Luke Harper and that person or Bray Wyatt and that person or whoever and that person. Constant stories that you can make out of that. It's simple. I reckon it's because he can't grow a beard. <laughs> Maybe it is. Yeah, I think Tommy's in the nail on the head. Shit facial hair. Get out the Wyatt family. Backstage, we see Dean Ambrose and Roman Reigns. And then Triple H appears out of nowhere and tells Reigns that he can't be at ringside during the WWE title match. That's happening later on where Dean Ambrose will face Seth Rollins. And he tells him that if he gets involved, Ambrose will be disqualified. Yeah, which is standard rules. So it's not really any game changer, is it? (laughs) If someone gets involved on your behalf, you get disqualified. Because I was watching it and I was like, yeah, but that's the rule. (laughs) That's just the rules. That's just the rules of the match. I guess what he says is you can't even be at ringside, otherwise you'll yeah. be disqualified. And, and Dean, if you cover Seth for a three, you bloody win the match. You bloody win it. Yeah, yeah, you like that? We are told then that the reason the Intercontinental title is vacant is due to an injury suffered by Daniel Bryan. Uh, Bryan is sat at ringside and will present the title belt to the winner. This is obviously the injury that would eventually retire him for some years and came after he returned from another injury the previous year, early earlier in the year, and had won the Intercontinental title at WrestleMania 31. And it felt like at the time, with John Cena winning the US belt and Daniel Bryan winning the IC title, that there was some kind of concerted effort here to really raise the profile of both the secondary titles. I don't know if anyone else kind of felt that at the time. Well, they, they may have tried to do that, but with the shower of shit they put in the Hell in a Cell match, it didn't really do much. They didn't really live up to their promise. I, I really meant when they put the belts on Brian and Cena. Oh, okay. At this point. Um, we talked the other week about Shawn Michaels' sad face acting. <laughs> Daniel Bryan's is almost as bad. Not quite <laughs> as bad. He, I can't tell if he sat there looking like a sad old man. Not you, old man, but a sad old man. Or a proud granddad who's maybe just watched, <laughs> watched his son get the, get the touchline, but broke both his legs. Touchdowns, even. Touchdowns. <laughs> That's what it's hey, called, isn't it? It's a good job that he didn't get the touchline because that would have been a fucking disappointing. Uh, yeah. He's, he got the winning touchdown but broke both his legs. And his mm. granddad's proud of him, but he's also sad. We also see a clip from Raw of Brian surrendering, surrendering the title due to his injury. Um, again, in another little bit of a sad face yeah. moment for Daniel Bryan. And the thank you, Daniel chance. Yes. Which is lovely. This is all a bit. This is all a bit kind of sad following WrestleMania, oh. WrestleMania 30, where obviously Daniel Bryan had won the WWE Championship. He'd had one defense at Extreme Rules after that, and then had to surrender that belt. Was injured for nine, ten months. Came back in the early part of 2015. Entered the Intercontinental Title ladder match at WrestleMania. Won that, and then got an in, got an injury on I think SmackDown a couple of weeks later. And it appeared at the time that his career was done. So it was all very kind of a big come down really still a hangover from WrestleMania 30 in many ways. So next up was the uh, Elimination Chamber match for the Intercontinental title, the vacant Intercontinental title. And this is something I wanted to touch upon earlier, but completely forgot about. Why would you book, and this is the same for any Elimination Chamber match, why would you book 
defending champions in an elimination chamber match like it makes no sense to me from a sporting conceit perspective like what what like what why 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 would you do that doesn't make sense this makes much more sense a title is vacant Mm. you're trying to find a new champion sure put them in the elimination chamber but why have a defending champion in one of these matches they do all the time i just don't get it i'm guessing that thinking like it works in a way in that as much as i don't like them like the authority figure says nah, don't like you you're an absolute shitbag you're gonna have to go in there with six other guys and you can you can get eliminated at any time that kind of makes sense as a one-off deal mm. maybe that once every few years but yeah i never really thought about it now thanks Tinky, you ruined that for me <laughs> well they also do ones that are obviously for a title shot which again i'm happy with i can accept yeah. that mm. But it's just when a defending champion is going into the match to defend their belt in one of these things, it makes no sense whatsoever. Well, they, they could do it in a way that they could, again, like it has to be predicated on the, the heel authority figure doing it to a baby face. But again, it'd be like, no, I'm a fighting champion. I'll put whoever's in front of me. You know what I mean? With student provider. But yeah, well, you'd go into it as, as a heel, like the new day, the heels like the New Day have in the tag match. It makes no sense. Mm. Yeah. Yes, ridiculous. So this one features Seamus, R-Truth, Ryback, King Barrett, Dolph Ziggler, and our mystery opponent. And guys, you know who it is, don't you? Yes. Western Supermare's finest, Mr. <laughs> Mark Henry. Yes. We oh, love it. And the round of indifference that greets Mark Henry's entrance yeah. is, is deafening. It's amazing. Just before we get into the match, I never noticed this before, but Seamus, I was watching his Titantron, tremendous Catholic-based Titantron. You've got a load of crosses, a couple of churches, a little spire, lovely old job. I was waiting for the priest to be led to prison, but it didn't happen. But I was like, that's lovely. Heal, Catholic. (laughs) We all know. There's also some lovely pictures of the Irish coastline. I thought it was like an Irish tourism video for a moment. <laughs> it's just the titles to Father Ted. That's all it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I thought, because I'd forgotten about old uh, Seamus' little beardy, braided beard. And uh, he's given off, some, and with his mohawk as well, he's given off some serious horny Zoidberg vibes from Futurama <laughs> as well. So, a quick thing. When we go into this match, something I realised, I'm pretty sure the sole purpose of an Elimination Chamber match these days is to create some core visuals for the next Elimination Chamber match pre-match promo video. (laughs) Yeah. All they do now, they'll use a cut of Kalisto falling from the top of the uh, from the top of the thing. They'll do a shot of Titus getting his head getting his head jammed through the cell, which happened in it as well through the, through the fencing. They're going to take the most impressive looking visuals from a shit match to make the next shit match of this type look interesting before it starts. <laughs> I said before, and this is I'm going to give away the game right from the beginning. I said said before that for me, I never struggle with elimination chamber matches. I always like them. We found the exception in this. Yes. <laughs> well done. Um, it starts with King Barrett and Dolph Ziggler. King Barrett has only just recently been crowned, by the way. He had won a, the King of the Ring in another uh, WWE Network special that took place on a Tuesday night. It was very strange. Came out of nowhere. Basically, they did the I think the quarterfinals on raw and then the following night the the semi-final and final on an hour-long live special on the network which i think probably preceded the smackdown taping that they were doing that week as well um and king barrett won in the final against neville 
He's up against Dolph Ziggler. It's a strangely technical start to an Elimination Chamber match. Uh, and it's not particularly notable for the first five minutes. And I have no notes to, to say anything no. about what they did. They are then joined by entrant number three, R-Truth. Barra immediately attacks R-Truth whilst he's still inside the pod. We then get some stuff between Barrett and Ziggler. Barrett then runs Ziggler into Henry's pod and it breaks allowing Henry to enter the, er, the match earlier than scheduled, apparently. Uh, and he goes after Barrett. Anything on that particular bit? It's just a bit during that period where Mark Henry's just stood there. There's loads, yeah. of, loads of fighting going on. And he's literally just stood there and then just inexplicably breaks up a pin for no reason. Yeah. It is so crap. I quite like the bit when Wade Barrett ran into the, ran into things, started beating up our truth. I thought it was quite cool. But then it's not like our truth comes out and tries to extract revenge on it. This is a match carries on, just continuing. And just there's lots of standing around. Yeah. It's <laughs> just there, there, of people just stood around. There's lots of, I'm not really sure what we were supposed to do next. Can you mm. remember? What, what is it? And, and maybe it's a consequence of Mark Henry being in this match instead of Rusev. And maybe originally hey, the concept was. How dare you blame <laughs> of this shitstorm? At the door of Western's finest export. <laughs> the veteran in the match, yeah. whatever you know. What I was, what I mean, though, is that maybe Rusev was supposed to win this match and was going to be the focus of it. And therefore, it all fell apart because they no longer have that focus. Um, one quick note before old shitback gets in there. I don't know when this comes about, but he's dedicating the match to some kid that he approached at a gas station or something. I've got this note, and I can't remember if it's a promo before or after the match. And it's so fucking weird. Why is he approaching kids? Why? <laughs> Why is this enormous man approaching random children at a gas station? I'm not, I'm not saying that he had any horrible thoughts, but you've got to use your noggin, haven't you? You just I, don't do that. I don't. I know. I have a very vague recollection of what you're talking about. I have no notes to that fact though unfortunately but yes he does you're right there's something in the back of my head which says that he has dedicated this to some kid and i don't know why or what Mm. what 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 for um anyway that kind of does also though telegraph who's going to win because yeah don't 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 dedicate a match match to a child and then not come up with the the victory one one day i'd love it if they did Ryback is the fourth entrant, and he and Henry fight out for a bit. Uh, Ryback finally. Is, Ryback is a spinebuster on Barrett. Oh, it's not finally, old man. They already had a match at WrestleMania, as is mentioned well, during this well, show. Well, it's because of the classic feud. It's rekindled. The magic is back. Paul Daniels has got his wand down, and he's conjured up a trick, and we've got Mark Henry and Ryback going at it. Two beasts. It's not surprising, because I'm sure Paul Daniels was also a hit in Western Supermare. So... It yes. all makes sense now. Yeah, As I've got here a note which is match is a little stuttery at this point, and this is obviously where people were just stood around not knowing what the hell <laughs> they were supposed to be doing. Um, Dolph superkicks Barrett, Ryback slams him, um, R-Truth does something as well, and Barrett is the first elimination of the match. So having given him the king of the ring in what yeah. should have been a career-enhancing victory and one that he could look back on as a, a you know as he, his career went on to new heights. Uh, he's pretty much jobbed out here in this one. I, I'm going to be the new Steve Austin, guys. Me, <laughs> Wade Barrett. Oh, lost out. The Elimination <laughs> Chamber. In the shittest lineup in an, in an Elimination yeah. Chamber match of all time, I'm the first out. <laughs> Fuck <laughs> me. Not even R-Truth went before him, and that's <clears> a lot. Because R-Truth 
is completely dispensable. You could just go, yeah, you're the first one out. You can job out. No problem. Entrant number five is then Seamus, but Seamus's door will not open. And the referees try to force it open, but they cannot. Now, let's talk about the door <laughs> here, because I am perplexed as to what the hell's going on here because perspexed perspex, that's right <laughs> just like those doors first of all i'm thinking okay this is this is just something that's gone a little bit wrong and they'll get him out pretty quickly they don't it lasts an incredible amount of time maybe about as much as five minutes and it's really bizarre because he then gets out and indicates that i don't know yeah, that, he, did he unlock he, he, the door or no, he, he's he's put his cross in there. Right. So so he put the cross in there to stop him being able to get out, is what you're saying. Yes. Right. I did but wonder. I did think that was what they were going for, but I just didn't think they made it that clear. I didn't know no. if they were suggesting because the commentators don't say anything about it. No. They seem to think that Seamus has unlocked the door with his cross. Wait, so it's all really bizarre. I didn't. It was just badly executed and didn't make. And, and who in the crowd's going to have seen that shit as well? Yeah. So I tell you what, they bloody had me at the beginning, and I'm not a hundred percent convinced that there is a fuck up in there and that it genuinely wouldn't open. And then they had to do a little bit of quick, then they had to do a little bit of quick thinking on their feet because that might explain why the commentators didn't pick up on it. Because they did no, bloody have me at the beginning. Well, no, you can see Sheamus takes it out. Yeah, so yeah. What, what, they, what they've done is I reckon, I personally think that they, they genuinely couldn't get it open. Because the referee genuinely looks exacerbated by the situation and looks like he's panicking because he has this like, weird, like, demented grin on his face. Like, Ugh. I reckon, I wonder if they, like, because there's another point where another ref comes down to help. And I wonder if they said, when it gets open, Sheamus has got a thing, let's pretend that he's locked it or something like that. I mean, yeah, I'd be, I, 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 cause I there's a bit at the beginning where Seamus generally looks baffled. And ordinarily, I'd have been fine if he kept on just yelling at the ref as he was doing it. But then there's a bit where he turns around and he doesn't look like he knows what to do. And again, yeah. I don't think Seamus is that good an actor. It was all a bit weird. I don't know what was going on. I don't know if it was if it was meant to happen. I don't know if it was a mistake. But also, if it was meant to happen, they did a terrible job of highlighting what yeah. had taken place for the viewers. And if it wasn't meant to happen, then I give them some credit for trying to come up with a way to get them through it. Do you reckon that what had happened is Seamus was watching this match and he's just going, this is fucking awful. Uh, I've been stood here for 20 minutes watching this shit. I don't want to go in. Don't make me go in, coach. Shitbag's in there. He's going to hurt me. But he doesn't hurt him. He does hurt R-Truth, however, when he hits him with a shell shock for the second elimination of the match. Seamus, by this point, is still in the pod. Um, Ryback does a big vertical suplex on Ziggler. Seamus (laughs) then finally gets out of the pod. And as I say here, I've written, I think the idea is that he prevented himself from getting involved, but I'm not certain. On, On that long suplex... It is quite impressive how long he holds him up for. But do you know who's not impressed? Everyone in the entire arena <laughs> is the, the quietest vertical, long, held-up suplex gimmick I've ever seen in my life. You've touched on a point that I was going to make, Tommy. Like the crowd through this are they're still fingering whoever's next to them, obviously. Although, although they must be doing a bad job because you can't even hear the odd pleasurable move. <laughs> but um. There's one thing they get excited about and excited to pushing it. Feed me more. Feed me more. It's the only thing that gets them going. I don't understand. He's shit. 
He's awful. And he's fucking massive. He is so enormous. He must have taken all of the steroids in all the world, I reckon. And if he was to lie and say that he didn't, then I'm a, I'm a Dutchman's uncle, I think is a saying that my, that, that, that my dad used to say. So, uh, so, so that would make you a Dutchman? Yes. <laughs> uh, not necessarily. It could have... could have married in, yeah, I suppose. Or it could have been like... Yeah, he could have been born in America and then moved to the Netherlands and then married someone who, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. There's all kinds of things that could have happened there. Don't, yeah. don't be so, don't make such assumptions of Thomas. That's not how, <laughs> that's, not how that's not how nationality works, and you know it. Um, we, are we know what they're like over there in the Netherlands. <laughs> <laughs> where were we flipping out yes so i think you, there was interesting though you brought up that point about Ryback because um he does seem always to be over throughout his entire run he does seem to be over and when he's babyface he seems to be popular when he's a heel he seems to get the booze that he's supposed to be getting it's a really strange situation he isn't very good at all but i there's something about him i there's a kind of there's a sid element to him that i quite like um he's not quite he's not as good as sid don't get me wrong sid is magnificent in his character but there is there is a sense of him being someone who's not very good but somehow gets the reaction from the crowd that he's going for and even now on on like social media and stuff he is absolutely having a whale of a time over there people will have seen it he keeps putting up this post which basically says (laughs) tell me what i should do next should i go to AEW? should i go to tna or impact whatever should i go to new japan or should i retire and retire keeps winning by like huge percentage points and then he comes up saying we've had loads of people who have been kind of have, have been coming on here trolling everybody else trying to kind of offset and, and make this poll unfair so i'm going to run it again and he runs it again everyone like shares it saying oh yeah say retire say retire and he just is these posts just go round and round and round and round and i i've got to be honest it's, it's even difficult now to figure out whether it's a work because <laughs> first i thought it was and now i'm not even sure but if it is a work it's phenomenal work because he absolutely is getting the desired result he wants because he keeps also promoting this product that he's trying to sell. And so this these tweets That's go around and, and um, people see the product. So fair play to him. Um, quick yeah. thing. I just went on to Bo Dallas's Wikipedia page and there's a picture of him from 2017 with a beard. So I might be wrong in that, although it might be taped on, I can't tell. But <laughs> this, this is amazing. In February 2021, so this year, it was revealed that Rotunda had started a real estate family business with fellow professional wrestler Liv Morgan. Mm. That's weird, isn't it? I guess if they worked together, I'm sure they've worked together for a number of years. So it makes some sense, I suppose. Let's not get too caught up in the whole real estate affairs of Bo Dallas, shall we? Because we haven't completed this Elimination Chamber match yet, Tom. And this is an unwelcome detour into um, the business world. His ex-missus was a, is a real estate broker as well. So I wonder if he's got that bit of influence. They're not together anymore, but I wonder if he's got his influence from her. Fascinating insight. I'm sure you'll all agree. <laughs> so let's move on. Come on, let's, let's let's keep the energy going and and the focus on the wrestling if we can. Seamus throws Ziggler through one of the pod windows. The pod windows are getting a real kind of caning during this mm. match. Henry hits a splash on Seamus for a near four fall. Seamus hits the pro bro kick on Mark Henry for the next elimination. We are left with Seamus, Ziggler, and Ryback. Ziggler then and Seamus square off. Ziggler manages to hit a famouser, but Seamus is barely phased by it whatsoever, and he hits a bro kick on Dolph for the next elimination. We're left with Ryback and Seamus. They go back and forth as well. Seamus hits the white noise on the steel outside the ring he also hits a rolling senton on the steel and then 
Sheamus is powerbombed into the ring and Ryback hits the shell shock for the victory. After the match, Daniel Bryan presents Ryback with the Intercontinental title and calls him the Ryback whilst he's yes. in the process <laughs> Wonderful. and congratulates him, says that he thinks Ryback deserves it and encourages the fans to tell him that he deserves it as well, which some of them do. They're just about roused out of their slumber by the presence of Daniel Bryan. But I'm not sure that this really did Ryback any favours, if I'm honest. Uh, Ryback says that Daniel Bryan is an inspiration to him as well as all the fans. I like the fact that Ryback says some nice things about Daniel Bryan. And then I started writing about it, only a little sentence. And then I thought, they've made him look like a competition winner. That's what they've made him look like. And by aligning him with the Daniel Bryan for this little bit, it's reminding everybody, so this is what you had, (laughs) and this is what you've got. That's what I meant by saying I don't think it does him any favours. Yeah, I really thought it was well-intentioned, I think. And Bryan works his little cottons off to try and, like, get old the ride back over, but the crowd just aren't that interested, unfortunately. I also wonder what was going through Daniel Bryan's head at that time. You know, I mean, he's a wrestler's wrestler, doing well respected, and then he's got to give present the belt to an absolute turd like right back. <laughs> and also, the one thing I will say that the yes chants are half-hearted as well. Mm. They are very forced. And there's a bit where JBL goes, "This is tough." And you know what? It's the most sensible thing he's ever said because it was <laughs> bloody tough. And I don't think he meant it in that way, but that's how I took it. I think he meant it because Seth Blatter's had a rough week. That's what he probably yeah. meant. <laughs> it doesn't do him any favors. You're right. Look at look at what you could have won is the phrase that comes to mind <laughs> if you see it. Yeah, I just it's a good point. What is going through Daniel Bryan's mind? Because you could say that, you know, he's had a really long career. He's, he's achieved probably everything he could possibly want to achieve in his career uh, by this point, Daniel Bryan. So he's probably not bitter. But at the same time, I can't help but feel like he's looking at a guy that basic, basically has been brought into the main roster not that long after making his debut as a pro wrestler. He's been put into the main roster, been given this super push, super massive push. And he's not very good. And Daniel Bryan has to now hand him over this title um, and and really get behind him. But I don't know. I'm probably doing him a a disservice. Daniel Bryan probably had no problem doing it whatsoever, I would imagine. Although I wonder also whether the Ryback was a deliberate miss misspoken things if he was kind of mocking him a little bit he's an interesting Ryback isn't he because when he was Skip Sheffield when he was in uh, Nexus he broke his ankle didn't he really really badly in the um, early stages of it and then he was out for like ages well over a year I think and then he came back and I just wonder if he'd have just been released just quietly released if he hadn't broken his ankle. Whoever broke his ankle has got a lot to answer for. <laughs> I don't think he would have been because he's one of those guys. He's massive, isn't he? WWE would have persevered with him. Yeah, and that's the yeah. thing. It's not that they give bigger guys a chance quicker than anybody else, although they do. But that's not necessarily the problem. The problem is, is they give them countless chances. They mm. don't, they, they've got no time for anybody who's who doesn't have that look who maybe doesn't instantly take with the fans. But people like this will get chance after chance after chance after chance in various different gimmicks, in various different, you know, heel, baby face, all kinds of different opportunities to try and get themselves over. And this is kind of the problem with, I think sometimes that's why people resent these kinds of wrestlers a lot of the time. Yeah, fuck you, Ryback, the Ryback. 
<laughs> so then we get a um, advert for the Stone Cold podcast with Paul Heyman. That's followed by the video package of Seth Rollins winning Money in the Bank in 2014 and cashing in at WrestleMania 31, which acts as another advert for Money in the Bank that's taking place in two weeks' time. They, the commentators then talk about the breaking news that Cena will face Owens in that rematch that we discussed earlier on. Yes. At Yay. the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. And they then announce six of the competitors for the Money in the Bank match itself. It's Dolph Ziggler, Neville, Roman Reigns, Randy Orton, Kofi Kingston, and Sheamus. And the comparisons to the people that were in the ring for the previous Elimination Chamber match weren't lost on me here. I think this is a really a good time to talk about how overexposed this roster was at this oh. point in time. Because I've already talked about the fact that they had effectively three pay-per-views in the space of six weeks during this period. But on top of that, there was no roster split at the time. So... Someone like Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose, for example, were appearing pretty much every week on Raw in a match. And Seth Rollins was usually doing a promo at the same time. They were appearing on a match nearly every single week on SmackDown. And they were appearing in big main event matches on the pay-per-views. They were just so hideously over overexposed during this period. And it's one of the big reasons why I had to stop doing what I was doing as part of Talk TV. Because I just got fed up of it. I couldn't do it anymore. I could not watch the product. Because it was so it was just so hideously... Like, like repetitive because they were just doing the same thing over and over again. I think during this period, they must have had about 75,000 matches that involved Seth Rollins, Kane, Randy Orton and Dean Ambrose uh, in various different ways, like tag team matches, handicap matches, six man tag matches, matches involving J&J security, matches involving Dean Ambrose and Roman Reigns, all kinds of like just over and over again every single week. And that is kind of what you get from who's in the Money in the Bank match. It's pretty much all the same people we've just seen in the previous Elimination Chamber matches. It's, it's so true. And I I, um, I think I may have been watching a little bit, like not every, not Raw every week and not stuff. But I think I may have been watching at least the pay-per-views reasonably regularly at this time because I had the network. It's a large reason why I haven't kept up with it at all since then, really. It's because of the oversaturation of those characters. God, I got so bored of it. And I think these this sort of period, the 2015 in particular period has had that knockdown effect for a lot of people even though the product has moved on quite significantly i mean even just a year later they put the roster split in place and now suddenly everyone only had to appear once a week so they were much less overexposed than they were and also they've obviously introduced a load of new wrestlers loads of new characters loads of new gimmicks but there are still a, a kind of core of this group kofi dolph ziggler Big E. Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, still the main acts on the shows. And therefore, people kind of tune in and they go, oh, these buggers are still on air every single week. Like, <laughs> I think it still does impact people's uh, perception of WWE even today. Yeah. Next up, we have the video package hyping the match between Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins, which goes all the way back to the previous year when Seth Rollins turned on Ambrose and Reigns and includes Ambrose getting the title shot by threatening to curb stomp Rollins through some cinder blocks, similarly to how Seth Rollins had done to Ambrose uh, in the previous autumn. It also includes a bit where Ambrose is arrested, uh, having seemingly assaulted a cameraman. Any thoughts on the, the various bits and pieces we've just talked about? So they're very much putting Ambrose in the Austin role, it seems, especially with the fact that he gets arrested. Understandable, he's a sort of cameraman. But it's all right, someone's posted the footage to YouTube, so he's been cleared of those charges. And the police, 
they must have been charitable that evening because they've just given him their truck. I can't, can't believe it. So he's got to drive their, drive their truck into the uh, thing. I actually thought the promo that Ambrose delivers over the video is excellent, but his hair is awful. <laughs> Who's Dean Ambrose talking to? And going back to his hair, there's only one lunatic, and that is his fridge. <laughs> You joke about it. I wonder if they did take it literally. I wonder if that's why he's got such a ridiculous fringe. It wouldn't what? surprise me. This is what WWE are like. Do you know Vince Russo would have, and they would have turned him into like a mental barber. And they would have referred to him as Lunatic Fringe. It wouldn't have been yeah. called Ambrose at all. It'd just been called Lunatic Fringe. <laughs> <laughs> I like the fact that they went all the way back to the previous year with the Shield breakup. I also think that, and you're probably going to contradict me here because I know that you guys have been quite down on the crowd. I think the crowd are quite into this. And I think it feeds into the fact that that moment still resonates, still has an emotional hit to it, where Seth Rollins attacks his sh- fellow Shield members. <laughs> Sorry, his shit members. <laughs> <laughs> Ambrose and Rollins had had a lengthy feud the previous year, which was actually, I think, the feud of the year in 2014, uh, which had gone all the way through the summer and culminated at that year's Hell in a Cell event. And if we ever do that event, I will go into some detail about how I feel about that. Mm. But then they had restarted the feud after WrestleMania 31, after Seth Rollins had won the title. And we are in the midst of that here. The match itself goes for 22 minutes. And has a lovely old dusty finish. So let's let's talk about that, <laughs> shall we? So <clears throat> as Ambrose goes to the top rope to jump onto Rollins, Rollins pulls the official in the way of him and Ambrose collides with the official. Ambrose then, however, capitalizes and hits the dirty deeds on Rollins. There is no official until another one runs in and counts the fall seemingly crowning Ambrose as the new world champion. However, once the original official revives himself, he tells the new official that Seth Rollins needed to be disqualified because he pulled him in the way of Ambrose jumping off the top rope. So then it is announced that, in fact, whilst Ambrose is the winner, Rollins retains the world title. He celebrates wildly. Rollins is absolutely like on his knees in relief. Amazing. It um, is phenomenal. Yeah. And the fans chant bullshit. Uh, in the post-match, J&J Security and Kane, who have been at ringside throughout the contest, uh, along with Rollins, attack Ambrose. But Roman Reigns' music hits, and he then takes out Rollins with a Superman punch. Uh, and between them, they manage to hold onto the title belt. Uh, at the end of the show, Ambrose grabs a microphone and says he won the match, and so he's taken the title belt, and he and Reigns then leave through the crowd. You know what? I actually thought this was all right. I thought it was decent. They do a lot of repeat spots. They like they repeat the um they repeat Thomas favorite move. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is the uh, Ambrose fall through the ropes. They do it outside as well a couple of times. Lovely old job just to show that they can do it. They dive through the ropes, obviously a staple. Uh, buckle bomb as well a few times. But I think it starts off quite um. It starts off quite slow and a bit, just a bit boring at the start. But I think the last 10 minutes is a decent old lick. And uh, JBL and the King, talking about the corporate needs of a champion through the first half of the match, is so incredibly dull because they're talking about Dean Ambrose going to board meetings. Board meetings! That's not the role of a champion. (laughs) Boxing champions don't go to board meetings. (laughs) 
<laughs> this is a thing that they just kept going back to throughout this entire run where the authority <laughs> and it started with Daniel Bryan and the way he looked and the fact that he might not be able to represent the corporation in the right way and ran through this entire run with Dean Ambrose and you're just like stop talking this utter yeah. bullshit about this stuff no one gives a flying fuck whether or not he can represent WWE in the boardroom or not no one cares yeah. but yeah I quite enjoyed it I also much to my surprise I enjoyed the presence of J&J security and Kane because I think towards the end it actually really works and is worth it for how they celebrate when <laughs> uh, when Rollins is told that he's still the champion yeah I thought thought it was good I enjoyed Reigns coming down as well at the end he delivers a cracking Superman punch probably one of the best I reckon he does a double on J&J security as well he does yeah which isn't quite as impressive but uh yeah I, I you know what decent I think in, in particular after what we've just sat through with the um with people sat on their hands well or fingering someone and generally silent through the elimination chamber match to then get this and a bit of crowd reaction a bit of excitement bit nice enjoyed it nice fringe tom i'm assuming that you are not quite as positive as old man i can never be positive about a match involving dean ambrose i just <laughs> can't i just can't I, and also i'm not gonna lie i was watching it very aware of how much i hated this run with the authority and jnj security because every match was the same every match ended in the same manner there was no there was about a period of i reckon the I don't know, a year maybe, but there was just never a clean finish. There was always a schmoz or a mess or something at the end of it. And I was just, I watched this match and I was like, man, there's a couple of, the one note I've got is that there's one quite good jumping punch, a jumping push, sorry, through the ropes where they go over the commentator's table. And that was quite a cool, cool little spot. But the rest of it, I just didn't, I just didn't enjoy it. I, you were right about, I I did quite, in this instance, I did quite enjoy J&J security outside. I just remember it being exhausting watching the same thing every fucking month. And it, God knows what it must have been like if you watch it like weekly, Tinky. I'm surprised it's still with us. But you're right, though. This was an exhausting period. Just constantly the same shit every mm. single... Not just every pay-per-view, every single show. Like, exactly the same thing. Seth Rollins' long promo, some kind of weird authority setup match. Sometimes that didn't even make sense. So sometimes they put Seth Rollins at a disadvantage just because they had no nothing else to do. So they were like, right, well, we'll put Seth Rollins in a handicap match against the primetime players or some shit and you're like why like it was just it was just all completely stupid saying that and again watching it in isolation i thought it was a really good match i thought they really did a good job and i do i did like the ambrose rollins feud that came the year before and as i said they clued into that at the beginning of the video package by really going back to that point where where rollins had turned on on the pair of them and it did carry a punch for me that feud and so Bring it back to this felt like it made sense. I do think the two have really good chemistry against one another. And I think it was very, very different to the match we saw between Ambrose and Jericho, where they had no reason to fight each other at all. Payback 2016. And it was just a complete like snooze fest. This was relative. This was 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 enjoyable, except for the end, which is an utter pile of dog shit um in every way like it's just it doesn't even make sense like i hate dusty finishes anyway but this doesn't even make sense because why would the referee who's seemingly now angry at seth rollins for pulling him in front of dean ambrose make the call that seth rollins needs to be disqualified it would have made more sense if 
the referee had interpreted that Dean Ambrose had hit mm. him and then disqualified Dean Ambrose as a consequence, or that Triple H had come out and asked the referee, did Seth Rollins pull it, pull him, you in front of, of Dean Ambrose? And he just said, yeah, he did. I've got to be honest. And then Triple H said, well, then I have to call it as a disqualification for Seth Rollins. As much as I would have hated that as well, it would have at least made sense. This way round makes no sense. Why is the referee doing this? He should be happy that Seth Rollins has lost the title when the when the second referee has pinned him. Stupid end. Really stupid end. So that, that wraps everything up for uh, Elimination Chamber 2015. Let's go to our scores out of 10, our MVP and our overall thoughts on the show. Tom, let's start with you. Uh, overall thoughts of the show. Didn't particularly care for it, but there was a clear a clear best match award for me, and that goes to uh, John Cena versus... Uh, versus Kevin Owens. Um, my MVP, I said Darren Young. I think I'm going to change it to that sad bloke who keeps trying to start chatting to the crowd. <laughs> he's, he's my MVP. He's, he's my boy. And in terms of rating, I'm going to give it a five. Four. I'm going to give it a four. Four. Okay, cool. So we've got a problem straight off the bat in that the two title, like the two elimination chamber matches, you're watching an elimination chamber pay-per-view, Two chamber matches aren't very good. Like, aren't very good at all, really. And they're very dull in places. But I enjoyed the title match. Enjoyed Cena and Owens. And I didn't... I quite enjoyed the ladies' match as well. It's just kind of like the rest of the stuff around it. Um, I am also going to go Cena and Owens as match of the night. I'm, I'm struggling on the rating. But I'm going to give it a three. I'm going to go three. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm so yeah. shocked by that. I was... Like talking back, I kind of thought it was going to be a three. I'd written down four, but I thought it's got to be a three because the Cena and Owens match and the title match. The title match is decent, but I think on a better card it gets lost in the pack. The Cena Owens match is very good, but it's not enough. The two chamber matches, in particular the second one, are so poor. They're so boring and they take up a decent portion of the show. And I can't, nah, three. Just just, to, just for context, man, you've rated that lower than Slammarine 93, a Legends reunion. Yeah, I would agree with that. Wow. I, four, yeah. Absolutely well, stunned. To be, to be fair, that got a four purely based pretty much on the main event and the opener. Oh, it's a great main event. Yeah, and I think those two matches are probably better than anything on here. Even the Cena-Owens match, I think. Who's your MVP? Oh, it's bloody hard. It's bloody hard. I'm not putting your dick on there, so what, what what's your MVP? <laughs> It's bloody small. Um, this is very tough. I'm going to say it's Daniel Bryan for saying the Ryback. <laughs> because, so I had Michael Cole for putting out with JBL and the King all night, but that's cheap. Well, I was going into this score knowing that I was going to give this a very favourable rating compared to what you guys would think. I, I knew I was going, I was being quite generous with my score, but now it looks like a complete anomaly because I'm giving this a seven out of ten. The show. Fucking hell. Yeah, I thought this was a really good show. I mean. I want, first of all, to put in the context of the fact that I really like Elimination Chamber matches. And there was the exception, the Intercontinental title match, which wasn't good. But I thought the opening match, as messy as it was, and it was messy, I do grant you, was fine. was really good. Really enjoyable. The main event, I thought, was excellent. The John Cena-Kevin Owens match, I thought, was fantastic. 
I thought was better than anything we'd had on the sprint on the Slambury 93 ma- uh, show. And I thought overall, I was like, I can't really argue. There's three matches there that I think are genuinely really good matches. And one that I think is a really excellent match, the Kevin Owens, John Cena match. And I've given Kevin Owens the MVP as a consequence. And of course, that is also a match of the night. So I am wildly different to you guys. And I thought I would be a bit different. I thought I'd be like, okay, you know, maybe Tom will give it a four, old man will give it a five, maybe even a six. But I was absolutely stunned when you gave it a three. I, 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 I feel like we're seeing different things in this show. But hell, that's that's the interest in this whole process is. Well, to- and also I have zero affinity with this period either. I watched the WrestleMania and I didn't watch anything else then. So it's kind of like, it's all just, it's just a show for me. Obviously, apart from knowing that when I knew he was on the card, it was Owen's debut. Yeah, it's just a show. So there's no, there's no warmth for me. And even Mark Henry's bad on it. It's just so, <laughs> it's just so disappointing. Wow. Okay, well, as I say, really interesting that the the vast difference in our opinion on this one. Um, and I, I'm I liking it. I that's what I want. I want more of that as we do this because I think uh, it makes for much more interesting uh, episodes. And it obviously means that I'll never talk to you again. Well, that that also that's a bonus anyway. Um, oh. Now before the game today, I wanted to take the chance to thank everybody who has shared our podcast on social media and who has rated and reviewed our show wherever it is. Thank that you. you for those that haven't managed to do so hopefully today's episode has given you enough entertainment that you might just be inclined to now okay it is time for the game old man versus tom and we are going as simple and as fundamental as it comes today i wasn't in the mood for anything different anything special i want you to, to name today wwe champions of the past now clarification I don't want anything other than WWE champions. I don't want any world heavyweight champions. I don't want any universal champions. I'm looking for the core WWE title that has dated back now a lineage to 1963. Yes, Tom. What, what if it's like a unified title? So if it's like um, unified title like Daniel, Daniel Bryan at 30, for example. Unified title is part of the lineage. So that is fine. They're holding the WWE title at that point that stretches all the way back. And that's the same when they did the you know, WCW and WWE title um, together for a bit as yeah. well. That's all fine, but I don't want anybody who was just a world heavyweight champion or just a universal champion. It's got to be the WWE title, the core title of WWE's history. Okay. There are, uh, you'll be pleased to know, 53 uh, different answers here. But if, they, if it does go to a draw, because I guess it could, you both could end up not being able to name anyone at the same time. There is a little bit of a tiebreaker I've got as well. So we, we are all in here. So why don't we start with you, old man? I will go... Michael Foley. <laughs> Michael Foley. That's a, that's yeah. impressive. He's not on my list, mate. I uh, don't know who you're talking about. Uh, yes. How about Mick? <laughs> oh, Mankind is on my list. Uh, oh, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> are we having that? Yeah, we are. Three-time world champion, a total of 47 days as champion over three reigns. That is not impressive, but that's what he's got. <laughs> who have I got on my T-shirt, Tinky? Uh, you have got Brett the Hitman Hart. How many times was he champion, Tom? Five, mate. For a total of 654 days, he is the eighth longest reigning world champion if you count all of his reigns together. So let me, hang on, let me try and guess. Let me try and guess this. It's game within a game. No, 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 no. Don't do that because they're answers to the actual game. Oh, okay, that's a good, good point. <laughs> but we'll remember that for afterwards. If that's all right. Uh, right. Shawn Michaels. 
Shawn Michaels is indeed obviously correct. Yeah, Shawn Michaels. Three reigns, 396 days in total. Uh, Cold Stone, Steve Austin. Mike Tyson's favourite, uh, Cold Stone, Steve Austin. Six-time WWE champion, 529 days as champion overall. Lovely old job. Uh, everyone's favourite racist, Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan, indeed. 2,185 days as champion in total. Six reigns overall. Sergeant Slaughter. Oh, that's lovely. Sargey Sarge Slaughter. <laughs> yes, one title reign, 64 days. Rocky Maivia, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. Oh, come on, that's three answers in one go there. Which one do you want to pick? <laughs> I'll go for The Rock. Eight-time uh, eight WWE champion, 367 days in total. Uh, Triple H. Triple H, nine-time WWE champion, 609 days in total. Nice. I will go The Undertaker. Indeed, The Undertaker. My guess, he's under the ground. <laughs> that reminds me of the classic um, Jerry Lawler joke. Oh, God. From Survivor Series 93. This was a time when he wasn't being a pervert. So it was all right. Ah, cool. And he said that he'd heard that. Oh, it might be a Bobby Heenan joke, actually. I'm not sure. One of the two. He says uh, he uh, he's heard that The Undertaker is putting a basketball team together. It's for guys who are six feet and under. Ah. <laughs> I think it was a Bobby Heenan joke, actually. Yes, four-time champion, 238 days. Uh, John Felix Cena. <laughs> Uh, 13-time WWE champion, 1,254 days. Impressive. I'll go Richard Flair, Ric Flair. Ric Flair uh, is a two-time WWE champion, 118 days in total. Well, I'm going Edge. Edge, four-time WWE champion, only 139 days in total, though. Transition, some might say. Uh, Rick, Rick? Randy Savage. Rick Randy Savage? <laughs> Rick Savage, who's he? <laughs> a brother of um, Wonder Year star Fred, maybe. Oh, uh, maybe. Um, <laughs> Two-time two champion, 520 days. Uh, the Ultimate Warrior. Ultimate Warrior, one-time champion, 293 days. Vin- Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Very true. One-time WWE champion, six days. He was champion for? The hell of a run. <laughs> um, Randall Keith Orton 10 time WWE champion 680 days in total uh, Diesel Diesel 358 days in total over one reign that's not a bad run is it well, it was a, nearly a full it was a full year as champion yeah. uh, CM Punk CM Punk 462 days across two reigns as WWE champion lovely Sid good old Psycho Sid 97 days, two-time WWE champion. Uh, Brock Lesnar. Indeed, five-time WWE champion, 752 days in total. Curtis Angle. 297 days in total, four-time champion. Uh, Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins, 221 days, two-time WWE champion. Kane. That's got to be Kane. (laughs) Indeed. One day as WWE yes. champion. <laughs> bad, bad blood. See, that was the thing. Was, was that a, um, a oh, dual reign with him and Undertaker? 
No, it was it was when no. he won the title of King of the Ring '98 in a blood, first blood match against Austin, and then yeah. lost the belt the next day. Um, that's interesting. I've I've got a story about that at the end. Is it is it as interesting as Roman Reigns? <laughs> I'm assuming that's your answer. Uh, yeah. Um, yes, Roman Reigns, that's three-time champion, 118 days. Oh, interesting. Uh, the artist formerly known as Deacon Batista. Two-time WWE champion, only 37 days. Really? Uh, Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan is indeed on the list. Four-time WWE champion, 210 days. Really? That surprises me. Uh, Robert Backlund. Indeed, 2,121 days as champion across two reigns. The second reign, of course, only lasted about a week. Yeah. Uh, Yokozuna. Yes, Yokozuna. 280 days, two-time WWE champion. Eddie Guerrero. We are getting down to the nitty-gritty now. 133 days, one-time champion, Eddie Guerrero. Really? I I didn't know if he... Okay, that's interesting. Um, I am going to go oh i'm struggling now i'm not gonna lie this is this is hitting me in the nuts you're doing great you're doing very very well indeed there are as i said 53 answers in total and i don't know how many you've had but you've had a lot <laughs> um i am oh did do did do um i am God, i'm drawing a back now boys I, i'm desperately filling time i shouldn't tell you i'm filling time when i when i clearly am <laughs> um did Oh, Jeff Harvey. Hardy. Never hold it. I don't think he did. 42 days, one oh! title reign. Pulled one out what of the answer. bag. Kofi Kingston. Oh. Kofi, Kofi Kingston, 180 days for his one WWE title reign. I was just going to tell you how many you've got of the 53. You've got 31. God, mm. lad. Oh, um, Rey Mysterio. Oh. Ray Mysterio is one of the one day, in fact, less than one yeah. day champions. Yeah, he lost on the same night to Cena, didn't he? Indeed. JBL, uh, everyone's favourite commentator. 280 days, one time champion. JBL. It's hard trying to differentiate between the two belts. You know what I mean? Because they ended up switching brands a few times, didn't they? They certainly did. They certainly did. So it's tread. Very carefully. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck me. Um, uh, we're, getting, we're getting all kinds of constipation noises now. Yeah. <laughs> oh. No, yes, yes, Howard, yes, stupid fuck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, Val Venus? Val, did Val Venus? Did Val Venus win? I'm sure Val Venus. <laughs> I am going to go for this. Can bite me in my ass. Bobby Lashley. Bobby Lashley. 84 days, current WWE champion, as as oh. of recording, of course. I don't know if that will change in the meantime. Uh, Drew McIntyre. Come. Drew McIntyre, two-time champion, 310 days in total. There are very few gaps now. You've done 35 of the 53. I've got but, but there's still more. there's still so much rich material to cut to, oh. to get. If, if you want it, if you want it enough, you'll find them. Oh. <laughs> Um, Goldberg, Thomas, afraid oh, me, afraid not. Very, very difficult, but yes, no, no Goldberg. The only oh. one I had left was the Big Show. Oh, indeed, the Big Show, uh, two-time champion, seventy-eight days. Always outstanding. 
you always got to go. You always got to go Big Show or Kane, haven't you? You <laughs> always get a Big Show or Kane. Oh, that was great. Well, but, hang on, let me tell Alberto Dario. Yes, two-time champion, 84 Just, days. Um, Sheamus. Sheamus, yes. Uh, uh, they're coming to me now, the pressure's off. Uh, Christian. So, hang on, Sheamus is 183 days, three-time champion. Christian did not win the WWE championship. No, that's why I thought. That was where I was struggling. When we were getting, you know, like Finn Balor won the Universal title. That's no good. Right, okay. So, there's a couple of things I've got to say. First of all, I will go oh, through... Jericho in it. We didn't have Jericho. Chris Jericho, 98 days as champion. Um, I'll go through all of the champions from the shortest amount of days to the longest. Um, so the one, the, the lowest on the list is not Rey Mysterio. It is Andre the Giant, who held it for a matter of minutes after beating Hulk Hogan. Um, we then have Stan Stasiak, who was a champion in the uh, early 70s, held it for nine nine days. Ivan Koloff, 21 days. Rob Van Dam. 22 days. Do you know, again, I, I, what I thought was one night stand and him challenging for the ECW title. Oh, I can't remember if I'm, I'm having a world title run. That was for the WWE Championship. That was. Oh, I thought it was for the... Oh, okay. Fuck. It was for the WWE Championship and then Heyman awarded him the ECW title as a consequence of winning the WWE title when they changed when they had the uh, ECW brand. The Iron Sheik, 28 days as world champion. That's got a cheeky baby in there. Uh, the first WWE champion, Buddy Rogers... 36 days. Bray Wyatt, 49 days. Oh, I never knew he helped the belt. Dean Ambrose, 84 days as WWE oh, champion. Sick of my uh, Then we have two-time world champion, or sorry, WWE champion, The Miz, 168 mm. days in total. One-time WWE champion, 170 days, Jinder Mahal. Oh. We've got four left, and they're all, well, they're some of the biggest names in WWE history. Superstar Billy Graham, 296 days over one reign. Two-time champion AJ Styles, 511 days in total. Ah, of course. We then have two more men. First of them, 1,027 days as world champion, WWE champion, Pedro Morales. Yes. And also the longest reigning WWE champion of all time, 4,040 days. Oh, the old summer. A disgrace that you did not get Bruno Sammartino. Do you know what the things are genuinely, and this isn't an excuse, but I was genuinely, I, I couldn't think if they were going to be WWWF people or not. I, I said, did say it was all the way back to 1963. So regardless of whether yeah, they were yeah. WWWF, it didn't matter. Those are your champions. Well done, man. A cracking effort, though, from both of you. 30, I think we got 35 or 36 uh, names in there before we had a wrong answer. I also had a tiebreaker, as I said, and those that tiebreaker is the two men that appear on the WWE title history list but are not officially recognised by WWE. Do you fancy hazarding a guess at either man? I will give you a clue. Chris Benoit. No. Uh, he was not a WWE champion at any point. No. Um, I'll give you a clue. One of them was from the, I believe, early 80s, and the other one was from the later 80s. Uh, Ted DiBiase. Ted DiBiase is one of the two. Yeah, oh. he it, didn't he? The other one's much harder, and I'd be surprised if you get it. Is it yeah. Alan Tabernacle? Oh, uh, oh man, how did you do that? <laughs> yes. Where did you pull that one from? Old Alan Tabernacle, multiple world time champ, world time, what? multiple time world champion in the NWA, but never a WWE champion. Oh. Um, the other name is Antonio Inoki, who had a brief spell uh. in the middle of Bob Backlund's uh, first reign uh, that was never recognised as by the WWE. 
so there we go that is the game for this week and it wraps up a, a very interesting episode of the random wrestling review we're gonna do the bret hart title wins and losses i might not you, get this right though you want to do the, the bret hart title wins and losses why don't you go for it so first reign who did he beat brick flair and who did he lose it to he lost it to uh yoko zuna yoko zuna second reign yoko zuna yes and well, lost it to bob backland yeah third reign Third rate I'm sketchy on. Ooh. I want to say Diesel. That's correct. And lost it to Michaels. Yes. Fourth rain. This is where it gets a little bit tougher, I think. Yeah, it gets a bit tricky, didn't it? Did he win it from Sid? No. Uh, so this is a bit unfair because he won it from Vacant because Michaels gave it up because of he lost his uh, smile. He lost a smile. And uh, won it in a four-way against Vader, Steve Austin and undertaker and who did he lose it to he lost it to sid the next night right oh that's right and then it's undertaker then he beat undertaker and then undertaker undertaker (laughs) and then lost it to michaels which reminds me of my Kane story so him and austin have the uh first blood match and they set it up and i've heard austin talk about it before where he's just gone suddenly they were just like oh we can't make Kane bleed because he wears the mask, and you can't just lose it like a cut on the arm. So that's why Austin lost it, apparently. Well, well the, the other thing about that, obviously, is that Kane had promised to set himself on fire if he lost the mask. Yes, as well, yeah. And and that was probably a bigger problem for them, yeah. if they didn't want to have to do that. So Apparently, that was kind of like a way of getting around it. Yeah, well, it, it makes sense as well to... Um, it, it is a way to sell the pay-per-view. The prospect yeah. either of a title loss or Kane's going to set himself on fire ain't a bad selling point to a paper. Yeah, I mean, having someone completely with their face obscured in a first blood match makes about as much sense as a bold man having a ma- having a hair versus hair match. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly does. But I guess you could argue that, again, the evil authority, Vince McMahon, was trying to get the belt off of Austin. So it's mm, true. You could have or you could have a, uh, a wrestler who doesn't. He doesn't wear a mask in a mask versus mask match. <laughs> no, but if he loses, he has to start wearing a mask. Yeah, he has to start wearing, yeah. I really, I really, and the other guy gets to design it for him, so it's got like dicks all over it and stuff. <laughs> so on That's that note, we're going to wrap up today's show. Old man, thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much. I know that people will be shocked by the disparity in ratings that we've given the shows, but you can forget about everything else. You've just got to remember and also remember alan tabernacle never forget that Fuck name. alan tabernacle he ain't no patera <laughs> he's the mighty genetic to ken patera Shawn Michaels, alan yeah. <laughs> and thomas thank you for your contributions too come on england we will be back once again <laughs> next week but until then take care